Listen, you smell something? Human emotions are materializing in the form of a viscous psychoreactive plasm with explosive supernormal potential. What a discovery, a psychoreactive substance. Do you know what this equipment is used for? Boggle or Super Mario Brothers? We'll have fun! Yeah! Yes, you're doing it. Really quite good work there. My friend, don't be a jerk. We've got no choice. Call the Ghostbusters. Super Jackpot! Welcome to Extra Plasm Podcast. It's the only podcast on the internet that's concluded tropical storms and earthquakes on the same day in the greater Los Angeles area can only mean that somewhere in the Southland, dogs and cats are living together. I'm your host, Jim Maritato, aka Vape Maniac from the internet, and I am alive, well, and excited to be bringing you episode 47 with a brand new guest to start off our brand new year of podcasting. This week, Justin West of the Strange Glow Video Podcast and the Midland Empire Ghostbusters joins the show for a fun chat about his experience as a Ghostbuster fan, a prop builder, a video content creator, the largest purveyor of 1964 World's Fair lucky coins on the internet, and a lot more. (laughs) Justin and I got to catch up one-on-one after chatting online for several years, and we had a blast talking about his journey as a fan since childhood, becoming an overnight Etsy retailer after finding a cache of Janine's lucky coins online, his current work producing videos documenting the Ultimate 84 Decals Project, and our mutual excitement over Sony's newly demoed digital content creation tools, and then, of course, the podcast he produces with his co-hosts Alec and Nick. So it's a pretty loaded and jam-packed conversation, uh, and I'm excited and stoked to share it with you all after discussing headlines this week. But before we get into headlines, there's a couple housekeeping items I want to attend to as well. So for, for a moment, let's talk about those housekeeping items. I want to let you know that Extraplasm Podcast's Facebook page finally exists. Yeah, I know. You're shocked. I am too. I said for like a year that I wasn't going to create a Facebook page, and then we got to a year, and I went, well, I guess I'll make a Facebook page. Uh, you can find it at facebook.com slash extraplasmpodcast, all one word. This is the first week also that you're going to be finding new content on the Extraplasm Podcast YouTube channel, uh, including episode 47, episode 46, and a standalone cut of the Ghostbusters Afterlife commentary from episode 46. So if you've already listened to 46 and then like said, hey, I got to sit down and watch the movie and listen to the commentary later, you'll actually have an ability to uh, pull it up on YouTube as a standalone item uh, rather than having to go dig around for it. So uh, the YouTube channel you can find, of course, by going on YouTube and typing in Extraplasm Podcast. But, uh, you know, I would ask a a favor of you all. um, And that's that, you know, I, I try not to ask too much of you on a regular basis for those listening out there, other than to, you know, just the, your kind words if you want to leave reviews occasionally. Um, you know, I always say that at the end of the podcast, but there's something this week that I am going to ask of folks, and that's that uh, these are, you know, the places that we're going to try out doing some new content and trying to create new opportunities for interaction with, you know, folks and audience members, like having more conversations, potentially having live streams, uh, you know, who knows? Like there's, but the the reality is that these spaces need to be built out before that kind of content can exist. So I'm asking you to take a minute this week to log in to Facebook and YouTube, which you probably are already doing, uh, and do the whole like and subscribe thing. Like go and find Extraplasm Podcast on Facebook, go and find it on YouTube and go and add the show in those platforms because I really do want to start to work to develop some additional content in these spaces that's a little more interactive. And and to be real, the podcast isn't going anywhere. This is like what I want to be doing on a regular basis. But I think it would be fun to be experimenting with some different ideas, uh, you know, and some different opportunities for, you know, content creation or collaboration, etc. So if we can work together to kind of help to build out those spaces in terms of audience, I would really appreciate it. 
Let's uh, now, though, take a look at some things we do know, do every week and, uh, you know, we'll continue to do every week. Let's take a look at some Ghostbusters headlines. Still making headlines all across the country, the Ghostbusters are at it again. Today, the entire eastern seaboard is alive with talk of incidents of paranormal activity. All in topic today, ghosts and ghostbusting. Yixtra plasm, read all about it. Ghostbusters headlines coming at ya. To start off Ghostbusters headlines this week, we need to talk about some official, like, studio news, which is very exciting because... You know, there hasn't been any for a while because of the strike. And to be fair, the strike is still happening. Uh, both of them, the writer's strike and the uh, actor's strike. So, you know, there's not that much studio news, but there's a couple amazing and cool things to know. Uh, the first thing is that there were folks who attended a Ghostbusters The Preview Cut screening uh, this weekend or past weekend at London's Prince Charles Cinema. If you recall, Jason Reitman had hosted these preview cut screenings at the Alamo Draft House in New York City, and then he announced that he would be screening uh, the preview cut, the 84 work print, if you will, uh, for audiences in London. And so he went and did that over the past week. And while addressing crowds in London, uh, Gil, Ken Gil Kennan or Keenan showed up with him and they talked about the fact that apparently this week they are going to be previewing a full cut of the movie. Uh, it's not a finished cut of the movie, which many people out there on the internet immediately lost their minds about thinking that they were somehow going to not see the movie before other people or something. Uh, but it's, um, it's a work in progress cut that probably still has effect shots that are not done. We know there's very likely some ADR that still needs to be dealt with uh, that can't be done until actors can actually work or any reshoots that might need to be done. But they are apparently going to be previewing a, um, a, a or viewing a cut of the film all put together with the components they have now. Now, that doesn't mean with an audience. It means they're going to watch it. Um, and they sort of said this, that they were going to be viewing the first assembled version of the film. Uh, I think that's spun out of control a little bit in different places in the fandom where people began presuming that there was going to be some sort of private viewing of the film for only certain audiences. Uh, I think that some people believed that this was going to somehow violate the strikes and that somehow like all of a sudden Jason and Gil were going to become the biggest scabs in Hollywood. Um, none of those things are true. <laughs> They're going to uh, watch the movie and make some decisions about it. Um, but the cool thing to know about that is that they are far enough along that they can stitch together a story. They have the shots they need to and probably have effect shots that are in uh, in progress. And that's the reality is that while our actors can't act uh, and the writers can't write, the effects teams are not slowed down by what's going on unless they need to do some reshoots or reshoots for compositing or something, um, you know, which might delay the completion of those shots. But as a whole, they can still be working on sound mixing and all kinds of other stuff. Uh, you know, CG creation of ghosts that maybe you've never seen before. Who knows? But the point is that there's a, at least a um, a go, at least a, a version of this put together that they're going to be sitting down to process through and make some decisions about it. So um, I'm excited about that. It means that, you know, we're just hearing that they're still in progress of making a movie, which is great. But maybe it means we're going to be a little bit closer soon if there's actually like a finished like version of this. And I don't mean finished in the sense that like they're done with it, but I mean like finished at a narrative level and they've cut together the story and they think they know what the beats are all in order and they're not changing them anymore. Maybe we'll find out what this thing is called. That would be nice. Um, cause I've been saying <laughs> Ghostbusters firehouse for a while and I still don't think that's actually its title and it's definitely not Ghostbusters hell's kitchen. I'm glad we got past that everybody. 
Uh, next thing we're going to talk about on a production and studio level is that uh, apparently there's a new Ghostbusters film you can watch that came from Ghost Core. Uh, if you haven't seen this already, there is a two minute short that was produced as part of the Sony Creators Conference. This is something that uh, Justin and I talk about in pretty lengthy detail in the tail end of uh, this episode of the podcast and our interview segment together, we got into talking about this for quite a while. So if you want to hear a lot more about this than just um, our my, kind of the headlines summary of this, make sure you listen to the whole podcast. But um, there was a short two minute movie that just suddenly emerged into the world uh, that was apparently created entirely digitally. Um, the, the Sony Creators Conference demonstrated a new form of technology that was apparently developed in collaboration between Ghost Core, Pixomondo, PlayStation Studios, and Epic Games, with Jason Reitman essentially directing and creating the picture. And it was this new technology that allows them to uh, work within a space and take a camera and point it around in a room, but be rendering everything digitally. So they're moving the camera and they're you know filming maybe like a, a car or an object in place of a car or something like that, like a toy car, but then using that as a replacement for um, objects in a real world or in a digital environment. And so it's they essentially made a two minute short film that <laughs> didn't have any real set. It was entirely rendered. Um, and essentially kind of like procedurally generated based around the components that they wanted and based off the 3d assets they had. Uh, so this is a really cool thing to take a look at. If you haven't seen this already, there's like a 50 minute overall presentation of how this technology works and stuff that you can take a look at. The quickest way to get to this is kind of like take a look at it. If you haven't already is probably go to Ghostbusters news and take a look for the article called Sony shares new Ghostbusters short film made using real time game engine technology. Um, because this is not only a cute little two minute video or, you know, film where the Ecto one is, uh, chasing after a larger version of a mini puff, which is kind of fun to think about. It's like a macro puffed, um, <laughs> but, um, it, it's, it's this very new experimental technology where they're able to use all just 3d assets and move a camera around and essentially make a movie virtually um, while moving a camera around physically. And that sounds crazy, but it means that like they don't need to have sets. They don't need to have, uh, you know, necessarily completely rendered props. They don't, they just need to have placeholders that they can use to uh, capture space and lighting. Uh, so it's a really interesting thing to take a look at. It's kind of hard to describe if you don't take a look at it. So I'm going to suggest that you go do that, but I will add a couple of things here that I thought were interesting. Uh, if you take a look at this, you'll notice that the Ecto-1 in this short film um, is, interestingly enough, a post-afterlife Ecto-1 because it's got the ladder on the side that it would need to be on. Um, it's got the suicide doors for the gunner seat, etc. But it's also not the way the car looks in the New York City uh, you know, filming for the next movie if you've seen that. And I'm not going to detail what that means. You can go figure that out yourself if you've uh, seen those photos. But it's kind of funny to me to think about the idea that like there, this is almost like the untold story of the Ecto one before it. It's like, it, it's kind of, it's had, it's been fixed up. Winston's brought it back, but it's still got some other things that are going to happen to it. So, um, I don't know if anyone did that on purpose. I don't know if that was just a matter of these are the assets they had already scanned digitally so they could use them for this project. Um, but I find it kind of fascinating that the Ecto one, as it appears is looking a lot like, the Ecto from Afterlife, but without any rust. Um, then I'll leave it at that. But take a look at it if you want to see it. And if you want to compare it to the New York images that are out there, feel free. 
if you don't want to see the New York stuff, don't look at it. Um, okay. A sad note uh, on Ghostbusters official production news is that a Ghostbusters voice actor, Jurgen Kluckett, has apparently passed away. Uh, he was 79 years old, and while a lot of us here in the United States would may probably not identify who he is, uh, the folks who are over there in Germany in the various Ghostbusters fan groups that build amazing props will likely identify him as the regional voice of Ernie Hudson's Winston Zedmore. Um, he was the voice not only in the Ghostbusters films the from 1984 and 1989, but he also reprised the role for Afterlife. So um, unfortunately, that means that they will likely be looking to find the new voice actor to dub Ernie Hudson for the next movie, I would imagine. Uh, but it also means that, you know, I, th I think about this sometimes that it's interesting that folks who are watching these movies in a different country have a different voice in their heads uh, than I do. Obviously, the language is different, but they also have a completely different voice in their heads when they remember the scenes from these movies. And so uh, to sort of lose the actor who has provided the delivery of the iconic lines that made you laugh for so long uh, is unfortunate. And, you know, my, our sort of thoughts go out to his family and the folks out there in the world who um, who are were appreciating uh, Jurgen Kluckett. Okay, uh, so let's talk for a few minutes about some Ghostbusters uh, merchandise and things that are now out in the world or coming soon. Uh, the first of these things, which is still coming soon, is a Ghostbusters 40th anniversary coin that's going to be coming out. It is a silver coin that's been advertised as uh, being limited to only 600 pieces. This was advertised uh, on Ghostbusters news, or rather covered on Ghostbusters news. I don't really know that it was advertised there, but um, something that uh, Jason from Fitzsimmons from Ghostbusters News certainly covered the past week. Uh, what I'm not sure about is who actually makes this. I was trying to track down like what is like, who, you know, who's the producer of this? Um, and what's interesting about this is that it is an official product of Columbia Pictures. But I feel like what's kind of been lost in the discussion of this is that this is apparently legal currency. Um, but it's not legal currency here in the United States. People have been talking about this as if it's a $5 coin that's shaped like the No Ghost logo, um, but it's not really a $5 coin in US. Um, it is apparently a coin that has been struck that is backed by the island nation of Niue, um, which I'm probably saying wrong because I asked Google Translate to help me. Um, but if you're not really sure what that is, it's a very small island nation that uh, is within the territory or realm of the kingdom of New, New Zealand. Um, and so it is an incredibly small place. Uh, and there, the exchange rate there is about 60 cents to the U.S. dollar. So this is not a U.S. five dollar coin. It is a, um, a, a, New, a New Zealand uh, dollar coin. So that's something to give you some some thought to. So this is kind of fun to consider. Um, but really, I mean, if you're buying this, you're probably not buying it because you're like, Oh, I'm going to go use it. You're buying it because you're going to collect it because there's 600 of them. And cause it's made of silver, which obviously if you were to, I don't know if you got really desperate, I guess you could melt it down or pawn it <laughs> and get probably maybe greater value, but probably you'd have to scrape off what it's actually worth in currency first. Or otherwise, I mean, I would imagine a pawn agent would just be like, what? It's worth three bucks. What do you want from me? Um, so this is an interesting product. I don't know that I'm going to be grabbing this because it's pretty expensive. It's going to cost you several hundred dollars to have one of these 600 pieces. Um, it's looking like there's going to be a price between three to five hundred dollars and some early listings are pointing to availability in potentially September. So um, 
if you want to take a look at this, head over to Ghostbusters News because there's pictures of it there. Uh, again, I don't really know that you're going to use this in New Zealand, but if you want a cool coin that's like a cool challenge coiny kind of thing that uh, is struck in silver and comes inside of a pretty cool looking ghost trap that flips open with switches and things, um, then you may want to keep your eyes peeled for this in September. The bigger news, uh, both because the character is huge and because this is kind of a follow up to a tease that we'd heard earlier, is that Star Ace has announced the first figure that's coming from their new action figure line or rather collectible figure line. And that is a 12 inch soft vinyl Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. There's going to be two versions of this. There is a general version and a deluxe version. The general version is kind of at $153.99 on price. And the deluxe version is going to be $168.99. But that deluxe version has an interchangeable head. So, um, and some more access or more interchangeable accessories. Um, there's, this is a great looking figure. I just want to say this. this is a soft figure. That's about 12 inches tall. Um, by soft, I mean soft vinyl. So for those of you who are Safubi collectors, like think that style of, um, you know, texture of what you're going to be holding in your hands. This is not soft in the sense of say the Maddie collector stay puffed, which if you hold it in your hands too hard, will dent permanently. Um, but this is a figure that's about 30 centimeters. So about 12 inches tall. Um, it's going to fit nicely in that context with potentially your, uh, smaller figures as a display piece as a genuine stay puffed, but, or just as a really cool, you know, 12 inch figure. But what I like about this is that it's got some soft goods love. Um, it's got, he's got like the neckerchief and, um, the tie and he's got the little ribbon on his head. And those are all like fabric pieces. I, I gotta be real. I really like how much this figure um, conveys stay puffed. I think it's odd because I think there's been some backlash to this. I saw a lot of people uh, commenting on stories about this, suggesting that he looked like anime puffed, that he didn't look like actual stay puffed. I mean, and to me, he looks like a version of stay puffed that's kind of consistent with what Mattel put out when they put out Maddie uh, puffed. He's certainly better looking than that. Um, he, I think he looks better than, you know, the, the spirit Halloween puffed, for instance, is another like model that he's certainly better than, uh, I don't know that it's the most realistic version of stay puff that's ever existed, but it's certainly a well-sculpted one from my standpoint. Um, and I really like the expressions that they're using. He, he's got two sets of hands. If you get the deluxe version with, you know, open hands and thumbs with really hyper detailed, you know, like he looks like he has marshmallows for fingers. Like he's supposed to, it's great. Uh, so these are from Star Ace. Like I said, this is part of a line that's going to be coming out that is, appears is also going to include Terror Dog or one or at least two Terror Dogs. Um, and then um, a Slimer figure. I think there's just going to be one Terror Dog, but, you know, who knows? Maybe you'll just buy two and then you'll change the horns on it. Um, but <laughs> the point is that it looks like we're not going to get, you know, from Star Ace, probably Ghostbusters figures in terms of the guys themselves. But it looks like we're getting ghosts. And I, I gotta be honest, that makes me very happy. We don't get enough ghost figures. That's the real problem we have. We get the four guys over and over again. Uh, so to get Stay Puffed, a highly detailed one, and probably, to be real, like the best one that's been done since uh, the Figure Arts uh, Stay Puffed, which is, you know, trades on eBay for like three to four hundred dollars when you see it. I'm really excited about it. I'm going to be pre-ordering this. I definitely want one. Um, I, may, I may want two just because I'm me and I'm weird, but... Uh, if you want to check this out, you should go and take a look at 
uh, what Star Ace has to offer on their website. Or of course, you know, you can always go to everybody's favorite website, uh, Ghostbusters News. But if you want to pre-order it, you can go to starace.com slash HK. So we've talked about the coin. We've talked about the Stay Puff from Star Ace. Let's talk for a moment about another high-end figurine company. Premium Collectible Studios has been showing us for a while that they've got a series of Ghostbusters figures coming out, and we knew that they had an Egon figure. We've seen a preview of their Ray, which uh, had some lukewarm response from the fandom as a result of the sculpt of the face, because it doesn't look that much like the character necessarily, but we'll see what happens. Uh, and then we've now found out that there's going to be multiple Slimer figures. As it turns out, we've seen one post originally that showed us a Slimer render, uh, which was really nice. It was really excellent. But it turns out that now, in a new post on social media, as Ghostbusters News reports, there's a variant sculpts for Slimer, including one with a closed mouth. And apparently, according to Jason uh, he from Ghostbusters News, he says, quote, Speaking to those close to the project, we can confirm that much like the currently pre-orderable Egon Spengler, each of the Ghostbusters will be available as a highly limited silver exclusive that will include a proton stream attachment and a unique Slimer sculpt, each featuring an entirely different expression. So that kind of changes, you know, things a little bit when you think about the price point on these, given that their MSRP is about $675, which is huge. Um, that's a big price tag. They're big figures and they're really super highly detailed. And these are, you know, not, they're not like action figures. They're collectible figurines. If you're going for these, you're going to put these inside of a really nice curio cabinet, I imagine, or otherwise they're going to get really dusty. Uh, but <laughs> like the fact that they're each going to have a different representation of Slimer really kind of changes the game for me, I think, in terms of value of what you're getting. Um, again, I don't know that this is in my wheelhouse just because I can't justify uh, spending, you know, somewhere in the ballpark of $2,800 um, on Ghostbusters figurines while also looking people in my life straight in the face and going, no, my priorities are straight. Um, but <laughs> I think that these, if you have that kind of disposable income and these are the kind of thing that you are into, if you're a high-end figurine collector, your situation and your value just got a little bit better, it seems. So uh, you can take a look at the sculpt that's out there um, off on their Instagram page. Premium Collectible Studios Instagram page had the original sculpt. And then, of course, you can look at what Jason's got on Ghostbusters News for additional coverage of that and photos for easy access. Let's talk about um, some Halloween stuff for a few moments. Halloween's coming soon, and um, that means that you're going to start to see even more of a ramp up on costumes and things. I know one of the things I'm excited about is that there's a, you know, Stay Puffed candy bowl holder uh, that's coming from HalloweenCostumes.com that or fun costumes, whatever we're calling them sometimes, uh, that is not yet available for purchase, but it is coming. We're probably going to talk about it pretty soon because I want to get one. Um, see, if they put, make Stay Puft, they're like, it doesn't matter. Like, make Stay Puft. I'll just buy more Stay Puft. Very clearly, everybody. But there's a, a really fun piece of fun costumes merchandise that I want to talk about for a few minutes. And Jason Fitzsimmons and I, have, I think, talked about this a while back. If not, I know I've talked with him about it in passing because we're both highly amused by it. There is a Ghostbusters Terror Dog Halloween costume that's now in stock at HalloweenCostumes.com. And this is designed to be a bipedal terror dog, uh, meaning that like you're standing on your hind legs and walking around and wearing the mask and then you've got a bodysuit on and claws. Um, I really like very deeply want to see a flash mob of these. It makes no sense at all. There should only ever be two terror dogs, but I want to see like 200 of them all doing thriller. 
This is like, if somebody's out there, like if you can make this happen and manifest this in the world for me, I will be so thrilled with you. Um, but for $109.99, you can like essentially dress up as a terror dog. I, I don't know if you're going to want to crawl around your hands and knees in it, but if you've ever wanted to walk on your hind legs and like walk like a, a bear who's at the circus standing up as a terror dog uh, with a latex mask, claws for hands and an actual tail um, and then like little cloth feet booty things like you can have that now um this exists in adult size small <laughs> small and medium um this is like something that i have to say i know that i probably won't fit in so i probably won't buy it but it makes me wish i was skinnier <laughs> um because it's a ridiculous thing to dress up as i think to some extent to walk around as bipedal um terror dog because this is not the sentinel terror dog i guess you could buy like uh an axe or something you know buy any of the uh, equipment to get the weaponry to be the sentinel terror dog and then stand there very menacingly but this is more like if the terror dog went on um the masked singer and i think that i love it like i'm saying all of that not a negative judgmental thing i just think that like there should be a flash mob of this at dragon con if you're going to pke surge you've got time order this now from halloweencostumes.com get like 10 15 25 of you, you know, and, and do it man just do the like ghostbusters terror dog flash mob all over dragon con I don't think anybody's actually going to take me up on this, but if you do manifest this, I will be seriously impressed and I'll have to think about what you get as a reward. Um, I, I digress. I won't give you any more of my dream about this. Let's talk about one final piece of Ghostbusters fan stuff here for a minute. And I'm saying this is Ghostbusters fan created for a reason, um, even though it's kind of official and big, you know, professional stuff. Uh, apparently, professional wrestler Matt Cardona uh, and Steph DeLander were a tag team who made, um, I guess, worldwide Ghostbusters history because they appeared at the Game Changer Wrestling's Homecoming um, event this past week, and they did so dressed as Ghostbusters. They literally wrestled, professional wrestled as Ghostbusters, called the I think they were believe I believe they were called the Deathmatch Busters, and they had a full-on ring entrance. Where their I'm just gonna say it in these terms. Their manager was Ecto One NJ um, because they came to the ring escorted by a 59 miller meteor um, that the Ecto One NJ uh, from Instagram. If you're not sure who that is, so shout out to Nick uh, from Ecto One NJ and to Greg the Ecto Tech uh, because both of them were on hand to I guess bring them to the ring uh, inside of a replica of the Ecto One. I'm going to tell you this point blank. Go to Ghostbusters News for coverage of this. I know I say that a lot on the podcast and some of you probably go, do you have any other sources? Some weeks, no. Um, some weeks, yes. That's why we're friendly with Jason Fitzsimmons. But realistically, um, I want you to go to Ghostbusters News because Jason is a huge wrestling fan. And I know he is. And he's already done a really great job of covering this as an article. But then he released another article um, the, the day I was producing this podcast um, saying that there's behind the scenes coverage of this, um, the, the behind the scenes of Matt Cardona and Steph Delander's Ghostbusters entrance, full Deathmatch Busters theme song released. Uh, there's a whole behind the scenes campaign for this that you can go look at. Like there's so much content here that's fun and you can see pictures of, you know, um, everybody who was involved. You can download the, the, the music they used to come to the ring for this. 
you can probably go watch the match if you wanted to somewhere. But and they do. I mean, they're wrestling straight up in a like <laughs> they're in flight suits that have like the arms torn off. It's ridiculous. Um, I love this. This is so funny. I like professional wrestling and its absurdity, and I think it's so fun to watch. I have to admit that I haven't had a chance to sit down and watch this match because I have been crazy busy this week with work, um, but I'm hoping I'm going to get some time this weekend to do it. So uh, we'll see. We'll, we'll see how the um, we'll see how the rest of <laughs> the time shakes out. It's been kind of busy around here with hurricanes and, you know, earthquakes and other things. So we'll see how the rest of this week shakes out. But go take a look at this if you haven't already on Ghostbusters News. So that's going to wrap things up then for headlines. Let's go now to my conversation with Justin West of Strange Glow Video Podcast and the Midland Empire Ghostbusters. Joining me on the podcast from a state that once tried to murder me is Justin West of the Strange Glow Video Podcast, uh, formerly known as the Frog Brothers Podcast, I believe, um, and also just of being a good Ghostbusters fan who I've known for a while. How are you, Justin? I am great. Jim, thanks for having me on the show finally. I know we've been talking about this for a minute in uh, schedules, man. Schedules. When you yeah. podcast weekly, sometimes multiple times a week, it uh, <laughs> takes a minute sometimes. Yeah, I don't know how some people do it who have, like, have multiple podcast shows. Like, I listen to Jim Cornette a bunch, who's like a wrestling podcast guy. You know, he was a guy in WWF and was a manager years ago. And like he and his co-host have two shows a week where one of them, it's their his show and one of them, it's the other guy's show. But each of the shows are like four hours long. <laughs> you're like, how do you have this much content a week, man? Like, <laughs> yeah, you're like, clearly you're making your money from that or you're like independently wealthy enough with your previous <laughs> decisions and jobs that you can just do that. So Yeah. So I haven't gotten to that level yet. You know, like last week we did the giant sized extraplasm, uh, you know, episode for episode 46. And that was like clocking it at three hours. And I was like, well, that's kind of long. So, you know, for pe- people to deal with people this week, like, are you guys going to do four? No, we're not. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, probably not a four hour episode, but I'm glad you're here. I'm glad we finally did manage to figure out schedules and that you kind of get to be the first guest of the, um, you know, de facto season two of extraplasm because All I'm, right, not, I'm not actually, two. I'm actually going to do that. Like somebody said, are you going to do it? Are you finally going to just like make a season two? And I'm like, no, it's just going to make things so confusing. <laughs> People are going to be like, where do I pick up this show? I'm confused. So yeah. Um, I think we're not going to do that. Is someone that has done that, you know, we started out as, the Frog Brothers podcast, and people didn't understand it as widely <laughs> as I would have expected. And that was the biggest disappointment. And the well, ultimate it ref- kick what is the, the reference? What is the Frog Brothers reference for anybody who doesn't get it? If you don't understand it, The Lost Boys, yeah, cult classic vampire movie directed by David or Joel Schumacher, um, you know, The Frog Brothers. Jameson Newlander, Corey Feldman, they're out yeah. there killing vampires in that movie, right? So they're ghost hunter or monster hunters, right, per se. And I, you know, you say monster hunters because they make the reference in the movie to, you know, werewolves and vampires at City Hall. Right. Right. So um, pretty cool to hear that on there. And then obviously kind of doing the mashup with the Ghostbusters and clearly, you know, Baducci Studios, Brendan Pierce did that amazing logo for us. I had like a rough concept for us that I, Threw it together really quick, and it was kind of like, eh, that'll work. And then Brendan's like, hey, I don't mean to offend you, but uh, here's here's something I threw <laughs> together for. And you're like, could you offend me? You're like, no, I'm happy as could be, man. Like, that was amazing. And uh, we went down for the 30th, 35th anniversary of 
the Lost Boys, and we got to do some hosting of some movies and stuff like that. And we had a big banner. We were guests right by all the talent from that movie. And people just couldn't figure out the mashup piece. Like people, <laughs> even people there that were fans of the Lost Boys to an extreme level just did not understand that we're the Frog Brothers from said movie. And we're also like huge Ghostbusters fan. And so like right. after that, we were like, if people can't figure this out, like we just need to kind of have a more generic name that people can wrap their head around because <laughs> Ghostbusters is hands down my number one film. I, I've loved that movie since I was a kid. I'll always love it. And nothing's ever going to top that for me. And now I look at it and you say, yeah, we kind of went down that rabbit hole, but we do so much other nonsense on our show that, you know, I just yeah. couldn't narrow it, narrow it down to another Ghostbuster show. And there's like, obviously your show is very Ghostbusters oriented and you kind of cover the other stuff and YHS is always kind of doing their thing. And then you got the cross rip, which is super focused in. There's just not enough Ghostbusters content for me to do that, like as a full time gig as much as I would like to. But now that we've got enough news, we're kind of doing our uh, well, that's what I heard segments. So mm-hmm. um, I've seen that. Um, yeah. Where you're kind of doing summaries of what's been going on and production and what have you. And some of it, I think you guys are doing a little more discussion of potential spoiler stuff than I probably do, but I'm, you know, I'm a, I always say this, go, go get what you want. Like if people are yeah. looking for that, go get it. It's a good place to get it. So, yeah. We try not to over speculate, but you know, I, I was one of those idiots that when uh, answer the call came out, love it or hate it. Curiosity got the best of me. And I read like the synopsis that somebody was working on the set. Yeah. Dropped onto Reddit. And I was like, when I saw that movie, I'd read that like six months earlier. And so like, why the hell did all that seem so familiar? I was like, oh, yeah, I read the damn I read the whole synopsis of the movie. I was like, shouldn't have done that. So. But my big thing is like on our show, we don't want to post any spoilers. Right. So if it's not officially released by Sony, we're trying not to share that. But right. And this day and age, like you can do the second photo on your Instagram, but you soon find out that if you re-scroll through that feed, it's going to show you the other photos is kind of refreshing right. your feed goes. So you're not really doing anyone any favors. It's kind of strange. Like it's a good point to make, like, because I think that, um, a, a particular tension I have had with the show over the last like few months has been describing or not describing anything has been saying things like the Ecto one was in New York city. Right. But then saying nothing about <laughs> what was on the Ecto one or what was going on with it. And it was driving up and down the street and there was a stunt crew on it. Like, and that's about as far as I want to go because you know, Sony has not put that out. That's just the thing that happens. But by the same token, I've sort of joked about this, that like if you're producing a movie, and you choose to drive a car around on a Saturday in New York city in June, people are going to photograph that. Like that's going to yeah. happen. Like, <laughs> So we haven't, I still haven't talked about what the contents are, but I also have said like, look, if you want to know if you, if this is something where you are okay with seeing what the car looks like and what, you know, it may look like now versus what it looked like the last time you saw it in afterlife, um, you know, then feel free to go take a look at it, but I'm not going to talk to you about what it is. And I, I've joked about it, but it's like, we're going to put episodes on YouTube. And the big risk of that is I've been saying, I get out of this so far by not being a visual medium. I don't have to show you anything. Yeah. I can just tell you something exists, you know, but yeah, yeah, it exists out there. And it was so hard to avoid if you're doing Ghostbusters content creation, because like everyone you follow, all of our peers, like there's people out there that are just sharing everything. And they're like, yeah. well, you're going to see it eventually anyway. And you're like, 
it's such a predicament because you're like, I don't want to be the asshole that ruins the movie for somebody. So <laughs> right. I would just rather, I would rather be like, eh, we'll talk about it and like try to give a spoiler warning. Um, but we're not going to share anything, especially on like our social media feeds that might ruin something for someone. So. Yeah. I mean, we're definitely not going to share the fact that like the movie is really called, uh, you know, Ghostbusters electric proton boogaloo. And uh, the, yeah. the unknown thing is that Rick Moranis is coming back and he's going to be the uh, new fourth Ghostbuster like for the original team. And then there's going to be a second team that also includes uh, all the rest of the kids from Stranger Things. That's, you know, that's totally not a thing we're going to tell people um, is happening because we heard it because we're legitimate and we're totally making this shit up, by the way, in case anybody is really taking this hook, line and sinker because it's a really bad sell. <laughs> I was going to say, because that's that's the uh, anim- that's the anime series that's coming in 2027. So yeah. don't get confused. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, you know, I, I've said that the animated series is something I'm so excited about because there's all this opportunity for new stuff. But ever since there was that um, series of images that came out showing ghosts as Ghostbusters a few weeks ago, that was like around the 2016 stuff. I'm like, man, I kind of do want to see some of these crazier concepts for an animated Ghostbusters movie that's like, or a ghost animated Ghostbusters show that doesn't involve the guys. Like as much as I don't want to watch the Slimer episodes of real Ghostbusters, because they're just awful. (laughs) They're hard to watch. Like if you're not like, even as a Ghostbusters fan, as a child, you're like, what is this? It was like made for the little kids. Like, okay, the good part of the show's over. Move on to the next thing. Why does he have a a dog friend named Ferdinand? And like, what, (laughs) what is going on with this? Like, it feels like I'm watching Slimer and Tweety Bird, but in dog form with an old lady. (laughs) And I don't understand why this is now the principal focus of the show. But I, but I would love to see some of those other like weird, crazy things, you know, like we didn't, I don't know, but we didn't get. So maybe we'll see what comes down the line. But anyway. Yeah, yeah that concept art, though, I thought was like, oof. I, I, I was very glad that movie didn't happen. Just like I, will, <laughs> I, I frequently tell people, I frequently tell people like you can hate answer the call all you want. But I am so glad we did not get Ghostbusters three in the 90s. Yeah, if I you look so at this, that, yeah. if, if you look at the CGI at the time and like how they were trying to overdo it instead of like doing the the good mix that most places are using now, right? Everyone's trying to right. use technology and, and supplement everything in a balanced way, which is smart, right? I think it's a good way to make a good, good content. But what we would have gotten back then would have been atrocious, especially if it was the <laughs> man, hell, the hellbent script, right? That hellbent script going back and forth, like the lighting and everything would have looked worse, worse than anything in Ghostbusters, the video game, right? And, and the cutscenes in that look pretty smooth for 2009. So yeah, no, it would have I, been... I love the video game. That's that's one of those things where you look at that and you go, for so many of us, that was Ghostbusters 3 until we got something mm-hmm. else. And it, I, I don't ever want to let go of it. I know it's not canon, but unless unless you're Ryan Dole, shout out to Ryan Dole, um, <laughs> the, the video yeah. game is not canon. But, you know, I, I think that, um, that the video game had such a thing that brought us all together. And I don't know, I, I think it adds to the call is like a movie that I wish people would just kind of let um, let it be. And this is going to be so weird. I haven't told anybody this yet. Like, so this is like extra plasma exclusive, but I went back to school this week. Um, and <laughs> I've never done this before. I've never gone to my first day of class and said, hi, um, I have a Ghostbusters podcast. Cause I didn't ever have one. Like last year I was going to school and it was like the first episode of the podcast. And so when like the icebreakers, I was like, yeah, I have a Ghostbusters problem. Also I have a Ghostbusters podcast. Like, so it was just, you know, we're doing the like, where are you from? What do you like? Kind of getting to know your students thing. And all of a sudden they just stop and they look at me 
And one of them raises their hand. And they go, what do you feel about the new movie? And I went, define new. <laughs> yeah, which one? And, and he goes, this guy goes, well, the one with all the women. And I said, well, that's not new. And he goes, what? And I was like, that's like five years ago. It's like more yeah. than that. Like seven. So the new movie came out like two years ago. And somebody goes, Ghostbusters Afterlife? And I was like, yeah, they go, what'd you think of that? And I was like, it's amazing. I actually just made a commentary. <laughs> it's the goofiest, weirdest thing. But they were so intrigued. It was so funny because the fandom, we tend to think about the fandom as being like mm-hmm. so politicized around that movie. But I had a group of 19-year-old kids who are not Ghostbusters fans. Who th- That was the thing they wanted to talk about. And we're just like, what do you think about that one? It's <laughs> just like, yeah. um, I think everybody should like what they like. <laughs> but yeah. that's how much you know it's like caused such a weird thing is that even st- kids who like, they would have been then like, what if it's seven years ago, they were 12, right? That would arguably yeah. be their Ghostbusters, you know? And they're like, what do you think of it though? <laughs> well, I'm sure they saw the controversy around it too, right? You couldn't get on the internet or exist on the internet, even as a youthful person and yeah. not hear the controversy around that. And you're like, if you like it, great. If you don't, no problem. But either way, it helped reinvigorate the franchise and it gave us a little bit of variety and nothing wrong with that. But it is kind of true. It's like they were probably 12, 13, 14. So like their formative years of coming onto the Internet and like engaging social media. That was one of the things that was going on <laughs> was <Yeah>. like <laughs> raging about Ghostbusters and raging about Indiana Jones and other nonsense. Like it's just kind of funny, you know, but yeah. yeah, you're here. You're here seeing all this crazy stuff go on. And you're like, what do you what do you think of that? And you're like, man, times <laughs> are wild. Gotta love the internet. It was really off-putting. I expect to be asked that question by so many people we know, you know, in our mutual friendships. Like, what do you think about that movie? But to be asked that yeah. question by just, you know, random people in the world, I was like, I, I like, let's not do this. You don't know where this goes. Yeah. Like, this is, this, if you get enough people in this conversation, it only turns sad. Ask Facebook. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's going to turn sad or like everyone's going to be slinging mud as fast as they can. And <laughs> yeah let's sling just, let's sling the slime instead right so yeah so anyway um well let's enough talking about ghostbusters 2016 and slinging slime for a bit what i want to ask you about um for a few minutes you know how did you get into like your what, what's your background with ghostbusters like how did you come into being such a big ghostbusters fan and what's your connection to the fandom so you know like most people in our generation you know 35 to 45 right yeah I'm sitting on the ripe old age of 39 so at the big 40 next year with the 40th anniversary, which, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm great with that. Hey, right? that's awesome. You get to like ride yeah. it out. Like every year that you and the, you and that thing celebrate a birthday together and you're the same yeah, age. Exactly. That's <laughs> exactly. So, you know, started with the real ghostbusters. And then I remember I have a bizarre memory of like UPS dropping off the VHS copy of ghostbusters. Cause you know, they were expensive back then, like right in the eighties when, when we got that, you know, I was probably three, yeah. so it would have been 86 or 87. And so we got that in the mail and like, they would let me watch that. And I watched that Top Gun religiously, like as far as VHS tapes and back to the future, you know? And so kind of those three movies, you're just like constantly, like you cycle through them. Yep. And then my sister had like her Disney movies that she liked and, you know, I'd Stomach those, just, you know, take, take turns, right? You know, you deal, you deal with that stuff. Like, I saw Cinderella more times than I'd ever cared to as a kid, but hey, whatever. You just made me think of Disney clamshell cases, because everybody had the home mm. video clamshell cases that were very distinctive, but yeah. Yeah, those are classics. <laughs> so I got that, and then, you know, I love Ghostbusters through Ghostbusters 2, and I remember 
seeing the teaser poster for Ghostbusters 2 at the local movie theater and like just having my mind blown at that age. You're just like, what? Another one? Like, you know, because there's no internet then. You didn't know anything. You just see a poster at the movie theater and like your kid. My parents are probably like, oh, my God, we got to get out of here. That was like how you knew movies were coming out. Like otherwise it was that or like being in a movie and seeing a trailer. But yeah, there was no other way to know. Like commercials, once you got close enough, but posters were always far enough out that you would get like, whoa, that's going to happen soon. Yeah. So I remember that's a good, a a strong nostalgic feeling there. I'll tell you. Yeah. And so, you know, eventually grew out of Ghostbusters, kind of into the turtles realm. And then I started getting a little nostalgic for it a little bit later on. And I remember, I think I just turned it on to watch it, you know, when I was like 12 or 13, maybe. And I hadn't watched it in probably three or four years at that point. And I was, Starting, I think that's around when Tuna Casserole started playing the real Ghostbusters again, like ahead of Extreme Ghostbusters. But I decided to rewatch the movie just to kind of check it out. And that's when I finally realized all the adult humor in that movie. And I was like, wait, <laughs> wait, wait a second. Wait a second. You mean to tell me this movie is not only awesome for the sci-fi spectacle that it is, but all the dirty jokes and all the nonsense that yeah. these guys say? I'm like, wow. I was like, it blew my mind. And I was like, huh. It is really weird, right? Like that you can revisit some things that way. And Ghostbusters is totally that way. Like I have said this before, so I won't like, you know, get into this too far. But like I saw that movie when I was four. So for me, so the second movie comes out for you, like when you are four, right? Like Mm -hmm. or eight or four or five. And for me, for me, the movie comes out when I'm nine. But the first movie came out, I was four. So my original memories of that are like being at a drive in, throwing a frizzy with my dad, eating fried chicken in the back of like a Plymouth Filari. Um, and a bunch of blankets. I'm supposed to fall asleep to while we're watching some earlier movie at the drive in. And I don't cause I don't ever fall asleep. Case in point, I make podcasts at three in the morning <laughs> now. Uh, but like that whole, the, the first experience of it was just like good guys, bad guys, scary ghosts, fun music. Like you get to say ghostbusters a bunch. That's cool. <laughs> like that's, that is the first viewing, but you go back to that movie when you're like in middle school and you watch it with friends and you start picking up all those stupid little pieces of it. And it's so stupid. Like, I never noticed the Egon holding his hand up and doing the four thousand mm-hmm. dollars and the one thousand dollars until probably like I was in my 30s. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> but yeah. Unless you're one of those people that like had the. Uh, and I'm trying to think, did they even do the pan and scan on the original Laserdisc release or was that a widescreen? I don't recall. I don't know. Yeah. So I just remember that. I remember hearing about Ghostbusters coming out on DVD and that was around the, was that the, that was the 15th anniversary then. So, uh, that was the first DVD I ever bought myself. Yeah. And so I remember that was like $30 at the time, but I was like, yeah, whatever. I love this movie. (laughs) Like saved up for it and got it. And then one of my best friends growing up, I showed him the movie and he's like, Whoa, he was blown away because he had a tape version of it where the Wally Wick and all those other fun lines in there. So when he saw that with me, he's like, what? This, this, they don't say anything that I thought they right. said. And so that's a fun, a fun okay, thing. That, to happen that's too. weird. Like if you're for your, if your long-term first experience of that movie is the edit, like, and then you watch the full blown version. Cause somebody decides you have the safe, like airplane ABC, <laughs> you know, like pr- prime time edit of the film. And that's yeah. all you see for years. And then somebody shows you the, whole thing that's got to be kind of wild you know yeah and like obviously it reinvigorated his love with it he was my first like his name's tony and he went to fan fest with myself and my brother and nice 
he was my first like kindred spirit Ghostbusters fan. Cause you know what? Everyone else is like, ah, Ghostbusters isn't cool. Like I was like, man, I still love Ghostbusters. That movie's hilarious. And you know, we started talking about it back and then like had some of our old toys and stuff like that. And we're still talking about them and getting nostalgia for them. And like, I remember like, ah, we should look around for garage sales, you know, and this is like the mid nineties. And so you're like garage sales. Yeah. They're hit or miss, but so much of that stuff was just stashed away in attics and like finding Mm -hmm. it now is a whole treasure hunt. But then it was a whole other piece. And, you know, at the time we're like, yeah, we should try to make some proton packs. And we looked at it and we're like, what the hell do you make this stuff out of? I'm like, I didn't use enough tools. Like, barely had had some like woodshop classes and you're like, well, I don't think we can make this in a woodshop. So I don't think they're going <laughs> to let us do that for a project. They're like, well, why don't you make a, you know, like make something useful. And you're like, well, I mean, I would say this is useful, but <laughs> that's a lifestyle choice for me. <laughs> woodshop teacher looks at you like, you're going to build a proton pack out of wood. And you're like, seems feasible. Right. But they shot us down. So that is a scene that should have been like in the last movie in like afterlife. It was like part of the summer school program is they had to leave Gruberson and then go to wood shop and Phoebe's in there making ghost traps out of wood. And the guy's like, what are you yeah. doing? She's like, I'm building replicas. I don't know. <laughs> like- <laughs> yeah. And the, like the heavy weight of those, like one of the, our local franchise, one of the members like had a wood pack that he had and you feel that thing. You're like, good Lord. Yeah. That's heavy like 45 stuff. pounds. Yeah. So, so you go from not building proton packs in the nineties in wood shop and how do you get to fan fest Today. and franchises and you're and we're going to talk about this, but, you know, being the greatest purveyor of <laughs> World's Fair Lucky Coins. <laughs> yes. Uh, so. We had AOL like my dad. Got us on the Internet basically as soon as you could. Like, yeah, I was the first. I was the first person out of my new and my peer group that had Internet access. To be fair, back then it was free for 40 hours. <laughs> yeah, true. True. Well, we had two phone lines since there's, you know, I got three siblings. So my parents like didn't want the phone jammed all the time. So we had that second phone line. And so that second phone line worked great for AOL because you could still keep the main line clear and use that. And I uh, started talking to Troy Benjamin on there. Right. And found Ghostbusters HQ. And I remember talking to Troy all the time back and forth about, you know, he's only a couple years older than me, but just talking back and forth with him about uh, extreme Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters three Hellbent and all that kind of stuff, and then eventually finding Proton Charging and some of the other sites. And you know, I kind of went dormant on it for a while. You know, like after high school, I was playing in bands, and so I didn't really. I mean, I watched the movie regularly, but I just wasn't doing anything with it. And then there, you know, that was like the lull of merchandise. I remember Target came out with a Ghostbuster shirt that was all gray <laughs> in like two thousand three or two thousand four, and you know, I got that and that was the first Ghostbuster shirt I had in forever. Like Hot Topic had some in I think 99 yeah. or something like that. And I had the sticker on my first bass guitar, but I didn't have like the money for the t-shirts and other stuff just because I wasn't working yet. I was like, I didn't start working until like after all that stuff wasn't sold there anymore. Like, so like summer late basically. And you're like, ah, come on. <laughs> Missed all the clearance of that. But, and, but the, the merch was so limited then. And then like the internet access moving out, like I didn't even hear about the NECA Ghostbuster stuff until years later. And I was like, man, I worked at a Toys R Us in high school too for a while. And and I stuck it out or stayed there longer. I probably would have seen those and had all those in the collection. But, you know. <laughs> Just, you would be like, these never make it to the floor. Um, these are going to be going straight into the trunk of my car. <laughs> yeah, these are going to go right into um, 
itself. I probably would have bought two sets then too. One to open and one to keep in package. You know, it's funny. It's like, it's a weird sidebar, but like when I was a kid, my dad um, was well known <laughs> at a local Toys R Us because he was trying to help my brother collect all the starting lineup hockey figures. And, oh, okay. he, and he was chasing goalies. This is when people ask me, they're like, where did you get the toy collecting bug? I'm like, my parents. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and my dad was committed to getting my brother all the goalies. So he was an, an investigator and as a, as a job. And he would just stop by the um, Toys R Us on his way to work. And he would write down the truck numbers in the back of the store that were like in the loading bay. He would like note yeah. down their license plate number and their truck numbers. And then he would drive back uh, on his way home from work. And he would ask them like, Hey, did you guys get a truck today? And they'd be like, no. And he'd be like, then how come the numbers outside on the bay changed? And they'd be like, what? <laughs> he'd go, I mean, clearly yeah. you got a truck. And the guy yesterday told me you guys are probably going to get some starting lineup from Kenner. Uh, did you get any goalies? You got any goalies back there? And they would turn around and go back and get them for him. And one time a guy tried to sell him the goalies from the back of the Toys R Us. Like, I'll give them to you for $60. And he was like, sure. No, I don't think so. And he walked up front and he was like, hi, you need to fire the guy in the back. And just tried to charge me $60 for the goalies. And then they sold them to him. And he was like, okay, just at the register. But yeah, uh, Toys R Us is long-term like legacy in my life of toy collecting and, and, and stalking it. Because when people say, Jim, how did you get so good at finding the Hasbro toys? My dad is how. <laughs> yeah, I learned for sure. watching you, dad. Uh, yeah. So I'm sorry if you ever dealt with similar problems at a Toys R Us while working there. I mean, I was in high school, so I didn't really <laughs> care. I mean, I remember that we had a bunch of PlayStation 2s come in one night and it was like a weeknight and I was working. I'm like, yeah, we got these, but you got to buy two games with it. So I called my dad and I was like, hey. Come on down here. You're buying a PlayStation 2. I was like, I'm going to pay you back, obviously, but I need your credit card because I don't got that kind of cash on me. It's in the bank. This is like the this is like the pre-debit card days, you know, so you'd have to like either write yeah. a check and I'm like, I'm not taking my checkbook to work as a high schooler. <laughs> Let me write a check for my PlayStation here. That's not how that operated. No. Yeah. That's so. funny. Um, well, now we know why Toys R Us went out of business because everybody was hunting them down and chasing them down and just getting all the PlayStation 2s for years and no, whatever. Um, yeah. Uh, well, um, so you get from working in Toys R Us from the early 2000s, from your early merchandise purchase, was we get through the world of Maddie Collector. Did you work at a Toys R Us during the during the era of Mar Maddie Collector? Because that would be funny. No, I did not. Now, I I finally bought the uh, Mattel Ghostbusters 2 set, and I was legit in a Toys R Us, and they had a couple of them, and I was like, had it on the shelf, and I was like, at the time... Just at the point, I was like, ah, I really want this, but it's not a financially good decision right now. So I, I, I left it and, uh, you know, I eventually got it. I got it actually this year. It's like, I really need that. So I finally found, you know, I think I paid retail, what really close to retail, what it retailed for originally. So if you can, yeah. if you can get that stuff without a markup now, it's nice. It's all good. You had some involvement, you know, you came out of being a teenager who loved Ghostbusters and eventually ended up finding yourself in a franchise, right? So how did you yeah. get yourself into franchise land? How do you find that to be for you? Like, do you enjoy going out and doing the charity work or like fan work? What's what is it energizes you about it? Yeah, so I'm part of the Midland Empire Ghostbusters, which confuses a lot of people for our name. So the Midland Empire <laughs> is like an area just north of Kansas City, which is where I'm based. And there was a Kansas City Ghostbusters group and they were pretty small. They kind of went defunct just doing other cosplay stuff, right? So they did that for a while and that was really their gateway drug and then they got into some stuff. Now, a couple of those guys still, 
still running around the circles. And, you know, um, Buster Props is actually, um, if you've ever bought any of his stuff, he's a... Gotcha. Uh, he's from Kansas City. I actually went to high school with him. And we, nice. believe it or not, like two hardcore Ghostbusters fans didn't know each other in high school because we didn't have any Ghostbusters shit to wear. <laughs> Find each other in the hallways, you know? It just wasn't a thing then. That's funny. It's funny because, like, I had that experience with, like, people in high school or in college around, like, punk stuff where, like, the mm. one of my first friends I made in, in college, we both walked into the cafeteria wearing the exact same Bad Religion t-shirt. We kind of just stopped yeah. and looked at each other like, oh, okay, so you're you're safe. Got it. Yeah, <laughs> so, all right. Yeah. Kindred spirit here. All right, I get right. it. Yeah, so I didn't know that till years later, but so, yeah, Ryan had a franchise here, and then it kind of went defunct, and then they started the Midland Empire, which... They didn't want to just reuse the Kansas City name, but there's an area north of Kansas City called St. Joseph. It's where the Chiefs do their training camp. So you probably heard people talk about it, but gotcha. Apparently, the old lore is that they used to call that the Midland Empire. I'm not privy to that. Like I didn't found the group, so I just joined and ran into them at Comic Con in 2019 because I'd kind of looked around for franchise and I'd seen the dead page of the group that wasn't active, and I was like, yeah, oh, whatever. And I didn't think, you know, when I saw Midland Empire, I'm sure I saw them on Facebook, but I didn't put two and two together there from Kansas City or the surrounding areas. So eventually joined that and started doing events like right away. And people love them and people hate them. But I had a spirit pack to start with at the time. And I'd gone through a divorce and like getting into cosplay was just something that was like therapeutic for me to mm-hmm. kind of get back on my feet and do that. And so I started with... Uh, the spirit pack. And then, you know, that was around when fan fest was announced. And so I got like crazy into like, okay, let's, let's get some of this sorted out. Met with the group at the con, you know, they had a big ghostbusters photo shoot on Sunday. So I met, met up with them and that was kind of like my informal joining of the group. And I saw all their packs and I was like, okay, <laughs> I've got to have, I, I've got to have, I got to have a real pack, you know, no, no discount to anybody that's just using the spirit packs yeah. and budget packs. Like I get it. Like they, they cost a lot of money to do it. Right. Yeah. So I get an email from a Novos and they've got like 40% off for Memorial day weekend and the con had been in March. And so, and that was right before fan fest. Well, I had originally pre-ordered a pack from a Novos, the kit. And it took like three years and I was like, <laughs> okay, eventually I reached out to the customer services. Like, I don't think you guys are going to deliver this product. I want right. a refund. Yeah. And so they refunded me and it took, and that, that was like a three month process to get a refund even. And then they had a sale and I paid the exact same price is the pre-order <laughs> price. So, and that shipped and got to me like in a week and people are like, what? I pre-ordered that. And I still don't have it yet. I'm like, I canceled my order. They put right. it on sale. I ordered it. It showed up and everyone's like, what? Now, granted, the only thing that, really is original on that is the shell now like right. everything else because they didn't even send me like actual pneumatic hoses for a lot of it they sent me like red wire or yellow <laughs> wire and i'm like and some of the kits i saw that people got were pretty accurate you know they had everything in there but they're some of the like the metal parts were like rusted already i was like how the hell do you give me no, it's, it's out funny screw? i said this the, i said this a few weeks ago people were ripping on that you know that um that halloween costumes or fun costumes proton pack and how bad it is and i was like yeah like, you need know, to be honest like for the price point like you could buy that and be happier than most people were when they paid for novos a shitload of money and then went yeah. what's in the box i'm not sure <laughs> like, yeah it was a huge missing right like yeah, and that Anovos kit, like, the shell is great. Um, and there's a lot of people that, like, look for those shells and try to track them down, and it's it's yeah. a nice shell. Right. 
everything else, I pretty much replaced the real parts. So, and then you never stop tinkering with those things. Yeah. It's like I, a labor of love. Well, to be fair, my way of stop tinkering was that I stopped wearing it as much. <laughs> I was like the HasLab I never began tinkering with. And my spirit pack is as much as I'm like, it's a spirit pack. It's also a spirit pack that has a Maddie wand and has a whole new light kit and has been repainted and ribbon cables and it came as far as it yeah. was going to go. But like I stopped tinkering because I was like, I don't. I don't need to go any further than this. Like this is enough mm-hmm. for me, but you're right. Like when you're trying to get to that point of screen accuracy, it's why I'm afraid to begin with my Hazlab pack. I'm like, I know once I start, it will just be like, I won't be, Oh, the, the podcast will have to end. <laughs> if I, if no. I mod my Hazlab pack, the podcast will have to just go on hiatus so I can spend months doing that. So I've avoided uh, it. Just film it. I mean, I modded, I'm in the <laughs> middle of modding. I'm in the middle of modding a HasLab pack right now that I've got taken apart in the garage for Nick, my co-host. It's always tinkering, though. Like, right now I've got a throwing chicken wand that I've just finally got all the parts for because I was waiting on a couple of things. And so between Max Factory and GB Fans getting parts back in and restocked, I was able to get everything I need to tackle that now. But at some point, I have to stop building these and stop modding these things. <laughs> so When you do do modding, is your tinkering because you're achie- like trying to achieve a screen accuracy goal or because you're trying to achieve like just your own vision? Like what's your, what are you shooting for with a lot of the modding you do? So for the HasLab pack, I try to make it as screen accurate as possible. Right. So I wanted to do, make it look like the movie prop. And gotcha. the thing is that eventually when I'm in a spot where I can hang some props up on the wall and stuff like that, I want to say, Hey, you know, Ghostbusters afterlife and kind of have that stuff on there. And I was able to use that for our group on, on as a display piece for our con, you know, yeah. for a booth. Right. Um, just to show the inside of the pack, because I added a couple of inside lights in there, too, that I just wired up some LEDs and did a nine volt battery on just because it was super easy and super cheap. But everything else I try to make super accurate on. There's a the only thing that's the only thing I need to track down. And I just haven't felt like spending $50 on yet is a hose, the actual uh, fuel line hose it's accurate or labeled like it is in the movie. So, yeah. And I just haven't, haven't done that, that yet. And I've got the keep alive mod from uh, ghost labs 42 for the wand. I haven't installed yet. Cause I need to solder that. And I just, <laughs> I just still, I don't have, and I'm afraid of, I'm so afraid to apply solder to anything. I'm just like, Oh God, give me electrical well, tape I, and wire connectors. <laughs> I started on, I started doing that stuff on uh guitars, like changing pickups and, yeah. inputs and volume pots and stuff so those are big and a great way to get started on for anyone that's like trying to start on ghostbusters props to learn soldering get yourself a circuit board that you don't care about screwing up because you're going to screw something up with those <laughs> or you're going to sp- or you're going to spend a crazy amount of money getting a good soldering iron that's made for small electronics and right compared to the 20 dollar like soldering iron you go pick up at the hardware store that burns and unsolders everything else is right down there at harbor freight the harbor freight special yeah i think that that whole project of like trying to modify to get the screen accurate is one i admire i admit that it's also one that i just like it doesn't tap into my skill set well and then i'm like i could build my skills i'm like yeah i can make a podcast instead (laughs) so but i always i think it's amazing when people are doing the work because so much of it is about you know like trying to fabricate stuff yourself and get to the point of looking uh when you go out in the world and people go well that looks real <laughs> you know so yeah. yeah well and the weathering too i think that was another right. challenge for this one that i got to do and then the ghost or the 
the stand for that is honestly, I just bought aluminum guitar stands that are like low profile ones for my other packs because they fold up. They're pretty cheap, but they're also very sturdy for the HasLab one, though. I really went all out and I took a, I made it just look disgustingly rusted and look like Muncher ate it. So I put <laughs> rust on it. I put a bunch of glow in the dark blue paint on there as the slime. And so, like, when I go in the garage, it's sitting in the uh, radio flyer wagon that I hunted down. It's yeah. not the exact model, but it's a similar enough logo and it's rusted enough that I was like, yeah. This looks good enough for me, so I like calling that around at cons. Put a pack in it. You don't have to wear it. You just roll it around and everyone gets to see it. <laughs> I want a proton so deck like, I can haul around and roll around in a wagon. That way I can be like, yeah, no, this is great. It's really convenient. I can just, you know, <laughs> don't have to worry about hauling yeah. this around. It's fun. <laughs> my it's back. fun. And then <laughs> people like it. Uh, you know, people give you dirty looks like, why are you rolling this around at a con? And I'm like. It's all part of the cosplay. We'll yeah. Get, we'll get out there, get weird with it. That's funny. So you get to now the point where you're a, a podcaster. You're been in the franchise for years. Like not, you're not yep. in the franchise. You're not in the movie, but not yet. Uh, that, yeah, not yet. That'd be <laughs> nice, but I want to talk about this thing you did. Cause I know that it's like kind of fast forwarding in your story a little bit, but the fandom after afterlife went crazy because yes, there was that post credit <laughs> sequence that was like, Hey, um, Janine's got a lucky coin. And I think some of us, mm-hmm. I, like, I know that this was not in the movie. Right. And they showed it like, Hey, here's a piece of never seen before footage. And I'm like, I'm sure I've seen this before. Like this I'm pretty was sure they showed that scene. At, I thought yeah. they showed that at fan fest is one of the scenes they found. I know I they showed so a too. handful of things. So, and so but, that did seem familiar then. Um, but you know, they showed this scene where Janine gives Egon her lucky coin. And, you know, he says, I shouldn't take it. We're not going to come back. And she says, yeah. I've got another one at home, which begins yeah, the, the whole, you're like, okay, well, it must be pretty common then, huh? But the yeah. weird thing was that everybody ran out to go find these coins. Like everybody was trying to figure out they wanted a lucky coin. Everybody I know who watched the movie mm-hmm. was a hardcore Ghostbusters fan was like, I now need this as a prop in my life. And there was a whole bunch of people who bought the wrong coins and there was debates about which ones were right and all kinds of stuff. But in the end, it was a like 1964 World's Fair coin, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. And somehow you ended up stumbling upon an entire cache of them, such <laughs> as you became the number one purveyor of World's Fair coins. Um, tell me about yes. this. Like, how did this happen? So, like everyone else, I got on eBay and immediately searched for World's Fair coins. And I bought one, and then I bought a different one because there was debate around which one it was. Found one that was really nice. In really nice shape. That was the uh, actually turned out to be the correct one from the film. And then, you know, I I occasionally like look. I was like, I really want a second one. You know, after you think think about, oh, they say, you know, I got another one at home, and I'm like, I kind of like that. I need another one at home, right? (laughs) Maybe one, maybe one I can take around with me. You're not the only person to have that idea. I've had several people who said I had to get two because she says she has another one at home, so I can take one out of the house with me and I can leave one at home. Yeah. Yeah, so I get on Facebook Marketplace and I'm just browsing around and I come across a seller that has, I think she was, she's out on the West Coast somewhere, like Pacific Northwest, and had like 300 of them. And they'd just been sitting around her house for forever, right? And I don't know if they, she inherited them or whatever. And I was like, hey, I'll buy that lot from you. So, you know, we negotiated terms of that. And I was like, okay. So I get them delivered and my wife is looking at me like I'm absolutely nuts. She's like, you bought what? <laughs> How many coins Why? were there? How many did you have? 
300. <laughs> <laughs> I'm down to my, I'm, I'm almost sold out now. I think I've got <laughs> eight sets. Cause I, you know, originally I was selling them like by the grading because yeah, these had literally sat in a little, a little uh, plastic coin holder with foam padding on it. Right. And the foam padding had basically disintegrated and it ruined some of the metal on some of the coins, like so bad that, yeah, you could get it off. And then some of them, it didn't really and damage of, at all. They oxidized. Like, I will say this. I have yes. one of your coins. Like, I got one of my co- one of the coins from you. And I made the goofy mistake. I'll tell people not to do this. But one of my favorite products in the world that I talk about regularly that costs less than $3 and will change your life is Quake Hold. It is a, like, little uh, clay-based putty oh, that yeah. holds action figures in place. And I took it. And I put it on the back side of the coin and then I stuck the coin to something being like, oh, that's cool. It looks like a medallion in my office. And then I came back six months later and I took it off and I was like, oh, I now have a nice oxidized circle on the back of my coin from the moisture that was inside the clay and that went to yeah. town on the coin. So like they're not they are literally souvenir coins. They're not like designed for circulation, really. So if they get wet, they start to oxidize. So like you had them in various states from this lot. I remember because you were like, you can get a grade A and get a grade B. And I was like, well, maybe you buy yeah. a grade C and be like, it's weathered. It's been through lots. Egon carried it everywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I got down, to, I got through most of those and I was like, OK, that was insane dealing with all that. And then the other thing. When I initially started putting those up for sale, like Etsy almost shut me down because I, I went from like just selling stickers occasionally for the frog rose to like selling <laughs> hundreds of coins and they're like they're like all this stuff has to ship before you can do any more sales like they I shut me down that. for a minute yeah i remember that <laughs> and everyone's like hey, are they sold out i'm like no 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 etsy shut me down so i literally get like a hundred of these things like shipped out and it took forever because it was just me you know like yeah my wife was like i can help and i'm like nah it's my project i'm not gonna make anyone else do this like this is my burden to bear <laughs> but it was a lot of it was a lot of fun sending those out and like getting you know, especially around the holidays, I think it was. And so a lot of people are getting those like right after the holidays or before. Yeah, it was a blast. And then so eventually when I kind of went through the bulk of the grade A ones, I kind of went through and resorted. And I was like, OK, let me kind of rethink this. And I started selling them as two packs and just trying to give you like a good one and one that's not as great. So. Right. And those are selling pretty well. And I'm still glad I can still help folks find those. The people only thing do- I don't have. People can still find them, right? Like if they wanted to get them from like you on Etsy, where do they get them? Uh, it's a strange glow video on Etsy. So yeah. just search us there or strangeglowvideo.com. We got a direct link to it. And uh, we're, we're down to the last, the last batch of those, but I've been able to get some of those out. So I mailed some to Eric at Ghost Core. I just want to make sure they had some, just if that's going to be in a future movie, I wanted to make sure that I gave them <laughs> a fair amount just to have on set or for whatever else. Right. <laughs> I mean, they do a lot for us, and it's just mm-hmm. like, I don't know if they are always getting, you know, they get a lot of patches and stuff, and I'm like, eh, hopefully sure. someone will appreciate that. So I think I mailed them like eight or ten of them just to get a decent amount to them. You know, I figured there'd be a few people around the office that would want them. And then I was able to give uh, a set to Adam Savage. Nice. Uh, he came through our, lo- our local Comic-Con, and uh, he had him sign my de- death whistle, and he really liked the the paint job I had done on that. And then I was like, hey, I've got something for you, too. And so I handed those to him and he's like, two. And I was like, well, yeah, you got to have one to leave at home. And then, you know, he got a good chuckle out of that. So I think he appreciated that. So that was my highlight of the, the coins awesome. and getting those out. But it's just such an obscure thing. And the only thing I don't have from those is the ones that are carded 
Yeah. Because these all came in a little coin holder, right? To keep yep. them protected from the from the mint. And basically at the World's Fair, like part of the attendant's job, I'm sure, was to put them on there and tape them on there. And mm-hmm. so I couldn't find anyone that would actually scan me in one of the cards because I was going to do a repro to sell them oh, yeah, with yeah. that too. But um, if someone would do that, I think it'd be awesome to have the repro so people could get them on there. But as seen in the movie, that's not accurate necessarily. So it yeah. doesn't really I mean, matter. In the movie, you only ever really see her with this coin, you know, but like, yep. I will say for years that I want to know what it is like, cause it, it like, <laughs> what is it that made Janine decide this was the ideal lucky coin, you know? Cause it's like, I mean, there are versions of that coin that are like called like that say lucky on them or something like, and this is not one of them. Like this is just like the, the, you know, it's just a token coin, but it's just, I would love to know what the backstory of that is of like, did Janine get it from someone? Did she go to the world's fair? Did she get it from a relative? Like, what is the story of how she ends up with the 1964 world's fair souvenir coin that was probably sold at like different stands? You know, it's like getting a, a coin from, it's like going to Six Flags and putting a penny in the crank machine that like flattens your pen. Yeah. You know? Your T-shirt there, right? All the merch stands like probably sold it and yeah. an abundance of them. I would just love to know. That's one thing I would like to talk to Dan about is like who wrote that into the script? Yeah. And whose idea was it to shoot that scene and who actually provided the coin? Because that right. was all original to then. So and right. right at that point, that coin was only 20 years old. So, you know, was that something that. Annie Potts decided to do? Did she right. have this coin and then say, hey, I'm a New Yorker and this is kind of something I want to throw yeah. in? I'd love to hear the story behind that on the filmmaking process. Yeah, no, for sure. Like that. And I, it's something like we've never like heard talked about, but I find it fascinating for like the same reason. I'm like, who came up with the idea? Who is like, oh, mm-hmm. a person who lived in New York their whole life would have gotten a souvenir coin and kept it this long. And then, but still also acknowledges that it's like, even though it's lucky, she's got two of them because they're souvenir yeah. coins. They're not, there's nothing really valuable about them. You know, it's like, it's like deciding that the ring inside of a Cracker Jack box has a super amount of value, which of course, baseball's taught us, you know, it's not important. If you can get the Schwartz in the box of Cracker Jacks and you don't need the ring. Um, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah. yeah, it's, it's, it is kind of funny though, like that you all kind of became the like one-stop shop for coins. It was like, I, anyone who I talked to was like, do you know where to find those? Like, yeah, just go ask the Frog Brothers. Like, that's they have like a bit of them or something. I don't know. I think he's that dude's doing electrolysis down in his basement to clean them up. It's just like I don't know. Yeah, but. it was. It was. It was. The the cleanup process was like painstaking because I was like letting them all dry out on on you know towels on the table, so I'd scrub them, and I had like my method to clean them all down, and I uh, didn't get any like jewelry cleaner. I probably could have to clean it up, but I was like, if someone really wants to like tidy these up from where I'm yeah. getting to. It's pretty easy. For I mean, I think they're that. made of brass. I think that's what they're made of. Yep. I don't, but like, so you could probably get some brasso and do go to town on it and really have a great time. But you know, like yeah. I, I like the fact that it looks beaten and weathered to some extent. Mm-hmm. It's like, it, it looks older and it should at this point, it's like a coin that is what six, almost 60 years old. And, um, yeah, you know, like if it was really a lucky coin that got carried around in life and was inside the, you know, flight suit pocket, maybe next to the, the indeterminately old Nestle's crunch that falls out mm-hmm. of Egon's pocket and in <laughs> afterlife. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, this guy loves junk food. And I'm like, hey, I feel called out for that because that's my weakness, too. <laughs> One of the things we were talking about before we came on the air was that um, you're working 
uh, to help support the Ultimate 84 project by doing some behind the scenes like production work, right? Like not or rather produ- behind the scenes documentary work, right? On uh, the process. And for those who don't know what this is, like I, it's um, I forgive me. You can help me out. Who yeah. is it that's actually doing this? It's Kip, right? Yeah, it's Kip. So Kip is uh, let's run some red lights. It's let's dot run some dot, you know, red lights on Instagram, ultimate 84.com. So and Kip's one of those people that I feel like I've known my entire life, but I haven't because we all run in the same circle of friends. So Kip's living in Kansas City right now, and I found him on Instagram just kind of through there. And then I saw that he plays in a band that I know from Omaha, Nebraska. And I was like, oh, Kip's the drummer for Haven 21? <laughs> really? And then so a bunch of other bands from Omaha and Lincoln that are like just a couple hour drive away, like nice. I know. And so he's like in the friend circle. We know a lot of the same people up there just from playing in like punk bands and emo bands back in the early 2000s and everything else. And uh, coming across him was like, okay, cool. And so we've been chatting a lot about everything. And he told me this project he's working on is to get these screen accurate decals. So he's got two versions. He's got a screen printed version, which, you know, like coming from the punk rock world, I love screen printing. I love doing DIY t-shirts and stuff. And Kip has background in screen printing and uh, an art degree. So he's very gotcha. well versed in all this stuff. And he's like, Hey, why don't you come over to the studio? And I was like, you can check out, you know, the printing process. So the screen printed versions, he's only given to people with basically a really close replica accurate because he's screen printing these, right? So he's working closely with people that have an Ecto. Right. So I know he's worked with Ectotech and Ecto New Jersey. And so specifically, if I'm not wrong, he's specifically trying to get those screen printed versions to like 59 Cadillac owners, like not just, oh, you got to have an Ecto. But my my understanding, at least you could correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah, for the screen printed version. Yeah, for the screen printed version. Yeah, he's only going for accurate, you know, original right. cars. And right. And there may be I'm not sure what his leeway level is. If, if you're looking at like a 62 or something like that, I know there's some out there that you can mod and make. Yeah, look pretty close. So I, I think he's pretty flexible on that. But ultimately, that's a really awesome project to see because it's handmade stuff, right? For movie production back then, none of this stuff was made to be like long term. And so when they're screen printing, they're just a little bit off. So the lines don't match up. Right. And so if you've ever done screen printing, right, you separate your colors like so each color has a different screen and then you squeegee ink through it. And it's a pretty cool process. It's been around for a very, very long time as a printing process, and it's still kind of like a fun art form to do. And most mm-hmm. major T-shirts you wear today are going to be that way. Right. Um, you know, like your your print-on-demand shirts are a whole other breed of T-shirts. But yeah, they're like DTG direct-to-garment stuff, and they all suck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they do not last long. You have to wash them inside out. It, it, it's terrible. You really yeah. just want something screen printed if you can. Uh, and he's also got the uh, inkjet versions, and even on those, he's been able to capture like the die cut for that is different enough because those are all hand cut out to go on the original Ecto. Right. When they redid the Ecto the first time, and I think the mid nineties, I think they just redid it just for sitting on the lot. I don't think they ever really did much with it, but then obviously for the restoration in 2009 for the video game and the 25th, they botched the car. And I don't mean that like in a way that most people would notice, but right. a purist from the movie is going to know like there's things they took off that car. There's things they changed on that car. Mm-hmm. And part of it was that no one ever really, really truly documented the accuracy of certain things before they did that project, because 
the state of the condition the vehicle was in when they went to restore it. Some of that stuff wasn't at a spot you could actually really capture anymore. Yeah, and in, so, and that restoration, like the one that they really did, the big restoration was around like the release of video game, right? Like 25th anniversary. Mm -hmm. And I think their priority yeah. was like, Hey, we need to get the car ready to go drive around and be like yep. seen in some context where we know people are going to recognize it and look good. But their priority was not on doing like a full blown restoration of the vehicle as much as it was just making it safe to take out and go look like the part, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. You know, they removed a lot of the rust, the paint and the outside stuff they made so it would last. Right. Um, but they didn't really follow the blueprint of the original stuff. And so that's what Kip's really trying to capture here with this project. And he's done an amazing job. So each door and the rear door all have a different print because all the lines are a little bit off. So right. like some of it, you may see a little bit more black ink here, or you may see a little bit more white from the Moogly there. And, um, and they're a premium product too. He's done his research, right? You know, you can go, anyone can go out there and get a set of decals on eBay or Etsy or wherever else. And if they're vinyl cut decals, right, you're going to get maybe five years in the sun if you're lucky on those. Five years later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I legit have a decal that looked amazing. It's a it's a three-color vinyl decal, and it's, like, just peeling right off my car yeah. right now and basically is ruined. So I hear that. I have a magnet that I made out of decals, and um, it is currently separating from the backing, and I know that it's done. So, yeah. Yeah. But if you're looking to get a set of these, ultimate84.com. I know uh, Kip was doing a quick sale over the weekend, so it's code Moogly for 40% off. Um, check those out. Uh, I was lucky enough to get a set, and it, I mean, it's just so impressive. It just, you know, like, getting that set, I was like, man, I would love to have an Echo for this. But I'm also, I mean, you know, I'm a little crazy as a Ghostbusters fan. I think we all are, but I'm not that crazy. Yeah. To be like, oh, let me yeah. go start a, a car restoration project. Hey, look, I will tell you this. I, I had a car wreck. Um, a few years ago, the year before COVID happened, I had a car wreck. The day, this is so funny. That I'm going to say this, but like I was the day before school started. I have like, I have a track record for the day before school started, start a podcast, wreck your car, all okay. kinds of stuff. One time the day before school started, I flew off a bike and like literally changed my life and tore parts of my body forever. Um, so the day before school started for me is often a very important day, either good or bad. But that year I wrecked my car. I was like, just I got hit in a, an accident from behind and that threw me into oncoming traffic and I got uh. T-boned and then I got thrown through a fence and it was like a really screwed up accident. that just destroyed my car and I went to the dealership like I had to buy a car and it was just that was the deal. My one of my requirements was that it had to be white. Oh, OK, that's fair. <laughs> it's like the car must be white and uh, the first like six months we had it, I would throw magnets on the doors so, like around Halloween time. We would go down to things. And like uh, things in town and I showed up at some event just threw the magnets on the door and went down there in our flight suits and we got out of the car and some woman looked at me in the parking lot and she went I have to ask you and I went yeah and she goes that car is brand new right and I went yeah and she goes did you buy that car that color so you should so you could do this uh oh and I looked at her and I went hell yeah I did <laughs> I was like are you, are you kidding me like of course I did so like I hear you like I haven't built out an ecto I've gotten that I have not gotten that far my closest I'll go is like magnets on the doors occasional light you know magnet based light bar and leave it in the driveway when the kids come for Halloween but like you know it's a jump yeah. you know it's a big that's a big commitment so but the sticker but the, to have the decals still like even if you don't have a car those are awesome decals like I have 
multiple sets of decals that don't look anywhere near as nice as those and are nowhere near as screen accurate. And I want to get a set maybe because I just want like the inkjets. I'm thinking about getting them just to like frame yeah. them because it would be a really cool art. The piece, entire you know? package yeah. he has in there is really going to tell the story of that car. Um, yeah. And it's such a unique piece. Yeah, it's it, it basically think of it as buying fine art because that's essentially what you're getting. Because I right. mean, the way yeah. it's packaged. Um, and then I've got a behind the scenes video kind of showing things that we're not quite done with yet. We've uh, had a heat wave here off and on so it was too hot to screen print last weekend and then uh kip's out of town right now but when he gets back we got to finish uh doing some video on some other colors there and then we'll get that up there just so you can see the behind the scenes process and what that looks like because i feel like at this point in the ghostbusters fandom like kip even said this himself he was like looking for something that hasn't been done but was significant to the franchise and you know he nailed it right on the head i don't no one's ever done this and so now he's going down the rabbit hole of like looking at other parts and, you know, using the hive mind to figure other things out. So it's, it's pretty impressive. And then just the sense of community you get out there, you know, um, he's been working with Stuart Reeves on some things like that and getting some advice from him. And so nice. that community out there, like, especially in the artistic side of it is just so broad and filled with like friendships. And that's, probably one of the things I love the most about this franchise is everyone's willing to help each other out. Like yeah. not, not being competitive oh, about yeah. it, but generally helping people because they love something. And for the sake of art, they're yeah. collaborating and making amazing stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, my rules in life at this point about Ghostbusters fandom is I'm friends with you as long as you don't tell me who to be friends with. And as long as you don't get competitive about what other people are not allowed to do, cause you did. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, because we're all doing stuff together, you know, but like, I, I think it's really good that you're doing this video, though, like this behind the scenes video about production of this, because and this is by no means I'm not trying to be judgmental in any way, like critical. But one of the things that I think has been kind of interesting to watch is the level of um, sort of customer education that's necessary to explain what mm-hmm. it is like. This is I'm, I'm a Shark Tank fan, I admit it. And so, like, I will listen to Mark Cuban talk about, you know, customer acquisition and. Uh, how much education you need to put into that and what you're spending on, et cetera. And like, I feel like Kip has been out doing a lot of like effort of trying to say like, this is what this is. And there's a lot of like talking about the project, but it wasn't until I saw like sort of Troy Benjamin recently do a video of like sort of unboxing this where I was like, Oh, okay. I'm starting to get what the value of this is like what the process, like why this is so important as opposed to like, Hey, this is another set of decals. Like, and that's not to like be like, I don't, like, I get what screen printing is, but to understand the process and how handmade this is, I think that that's going to be really valuable because I think that like it's illustrates what we're talking about here. We're talking about literal like prop reproduction, the way it was done in like 1984 in a shop. Like we're going to hand make these logos and figure out how they go in the car and they're all going to have slight variations and they're all going to be hand screen printed. Right. Yeah. So um, it's, it's kind of neat. I want I'm eager to see the process because I think it's yeah, cool. the screen printing process. He's actually hand cutting them out individually, like to match the look, the lines from the yeah. movie with an exacto knife. So it's, you know, when you look at the price point on those and I know everyone's like, well, they seem steep if you're just used to buying junk decals online. Right. Okay. Something that might last you yeah. five to seven yep. years. Well, he's using high end inks through a local printer here and they're doing like a nice UV laminate on top of it. So it's going to last right. Anything's going to fade. If you right. leave it outside, you know, the sun just destroys stuff. Sure. Um, but, 
But anything that's made like in a factory in China that's printed out like on a press is going to fade in a mm-hmm. year. Yeah. <laughs> like, and not in 10, you know, so or whatever it's going to take. So, yeah. So yeah. if you have this thing out of the sun or have a garage or access to it or even just throw like a cover on your car, these could last a very, very long time for the inkjet version. Yeah. The screen print version, I right. think I have no idea what the limitations of that would be. He's using a very high end ink, very high quality stuff. Um, and I was impressed with like the level of going after the best materials possible because he could have done this and made it a third of the price and just use the cheapest materials out there. But he's out there knowing that there's a limited right. market for this. People are going to appreciate this. No, right. They're the people out there that are like in the 1500 to $3,000 proton pack realm, right. The people right. that are spending money because they love yeah. this. They're not afraid to invest in quality product. And I think that's really what that's, that's all about. So he's not trying to get ahead of anybody with this. It's truly for the love of doing it. And, trying to make the best product on the market and be the end all be all for this. And it's very limited yeah, in quantities, no, right? I, He's not trying to do this long term. It's not supposed to be right. like a way of income, you know, and it's a one and done, like here's the deal, get on board, get into this. And if you want them, so you've got them for, you know, your project, great, mm-hmm. you know, and that's I I I'll say this. You said you hinted at this, kind of said, you know, people might think it costs a lot. Like, yeah. Um I have had conversations recently with, you know, people who have like kind of messaged me and been like, man, such and such product that's being made by so-and-so is so expensive. Right. And it's like, I'm like, yeah, that's cause it's handmade. Mm-hmm. Like that's cause it's something that is like individually handmade and you are getting one of, you know, maybe several dozen or maybe like 200 of something because that's something that someone's not producing at the economy of scale of, you know, a giant a print on demand factory that just you tell them what you want and they just print whatever it is on a roll of laminated sticker back yeah. <laughs> and send it to you, you know, like, so yeah, I, I appreciate that. And that's, I, if you're, I think that's what this is about. Like if you're a person who's that level, if you're like, I know I'm willing to put the money in cause I want to be that screen accurate. That's who this mm-hmm. is for, right? Like if you're a person who just wants random stickers for your car, like this is probably not the product for you, but if you want stuff that looks great and it's going to make sure that you can say, okay, look, this looks as accurate as I could possibly get it. And the closest I have it, then I'm happy with that. Like that's the, it sounds like an awesome, really cool project. And that's why for me, I'm like, I want it like an art yeah. piece. Like I, I don't want it so much like, Oh, I want to stick it on a car. I want to put it in a frame <laughs> like, and, like stick it on. Yeah, the wall, you could easily, you, know? you could easily so, make an art yeah. piece out of that and then display it. You know, like if you're going to have a movie prop replica museum or something like that, like a yeah. section of your house, you could easily right. label that and hang it because it's, it's beautiful. Well, as far as I'm concerned, it goes on a car. That means it's water safe. So I'm just going to stick it in my bathroom and <laughs> just <I> mean, <laughs> like <laughs> If you want to, I mean, you may as well, whatever makes you happy. Right. I mean, we're not going to clown on anyone. I mean, I can't do that. I'm not going to do that to Moogly. It's not fair. You know, like you got to be here in this room where the bad things <laughs> the happen. The bad things I'm, happen. Know, yeah. <laughs> it's Slimer. Um, but I think it's a cool project. I really do. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that, like, you're doing the behind the scenes work on it. I look forward to seeing the video when you put it out. Um, and then, of course, like you've got Strange Glow video. Like we kind of started on this and then we deviated mm-hmm. from it to talk about Ghostbusters a bit. But like. Strange Glow Video is your ongoing podcast. How many episodes have you had now, like, of your show? We stopped. We stopped counting them. Like, we legit. Yeah, for the first two seasons as Frog Brothers, we were numbering everything, and I was doing custom art form when it was audio only, and then 
eventually we just got doing too much, you know, with the advent of yeah. short format, we're trying to do that. And Alec, my brother really loves to do the stuff on TikTok, and he's doing all kinds of crazy stuff on there. Like, drinking 30 year old jolt cola and everything like that. And so you're just like, all right, dude. And it's finding that at thrift shops or, you know, flea markets. And I'm like, okay, more power to you. Oh Lord. <laughs> Glad I wasn't there for that, but, uh, that's, it's pretty crazy, but between doing short format and for a while we were doing too much, we'd, we'd go to record an episode and we would do, we'd record two episodes on a Monday night. And my brother just got so far behind on editing that he fell behind. So we're, See, I think we've hit three years now. Yeah, we hit three years in. Gotcha. Hit three years in March or April, whenever that was. It's been a long time now. So, like, the time just flies when you're doing this. And what's the, your format? Like, you're are you discussing like a different movie each week, or how do you like figure out what you're going to talk? We're about? We're trying to have a variety of stuff because you know some people want the longer content, and so for yeah. a while, we're what we do a, a segment called Haunted by Tapes, where we talk about horror movies. Just kind of break it down, do a little review of those, talk about the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, then we'll talk about new movies, which is just kind of like our regular Strange Glow video episodes now. And then short format stuff where we're doing silly stuff like we did a little gag video where we destroyed the uh, HasLab Proton Pack box. Like, I don't have I, saw I don't have anywhere to keep that box. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not going to try to store this box in an but to be fair, you did market it as destroying a HasLab proton pack, which made some oh, people they got so mad. <laughs> very reactionary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I even had people in our own group like, I can't believe you did that. I'm like, did you watch the video? No. <laughs> okay. It's like a box and a hose. <laughs> like a, a couple other pieces of random like kit. That is, you're like, clearly you did not destroy the whole pack. No. But <laughs> yeah, all we did on that was. And it was just like the office space for like, hey, let's do an office space parody. Oh, let's do it yeah. with that. And like, that was the whole thing. Let's do a little parody video. And yeah, we're not going to destroy that. I know people out there can't afford those and like would get upset about it. And I know there's people out there that would destroy one, but it's neither here nor sure. there. But by then I'd already taken off like all the hoses because I had my pack completely broken down by the time we shot that video. So my, my pack was yeah. in pieces. Like I literally could have just gone and laid it out in the grass and people probably would have thought we'd broken it, but I don't want to lose anything. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> yeah, that's great though. And so, and so strange glow is, um, where people, where can people find it? Cause they get it on YouTube. Yeah. Right? So we and, do, um, we do else? YouTube. So it's YouTube, uh, strange glow video. And then recently put together a website. Finally stop being, you know, kind of like, capture all of our links because we had a frog rose podcast website yeah. and then our friend had done that for us and then with the name change we just let that lapse so i uh, acquired strangegillvideo.com threw together a little site so you got all the links just directly on there nice. and so youtube tiktok instagram uh we've been on i don't all i don't know places. if we've been on threads much and then x obviously i don't get on x as much either anymore i think alec is still getting on there posting pretty regularly but such a I mess. have problems with that entire expression. Like people are like, I haven't gotten on X much lately. And I'm like, yeah, I haven't done ecstasy since the 1990s. Yeah. I've never yeah. done ecstasy. <laughs> but I feel like every time I hear somebody say it now, I'm like, don't get on X. It's not, you know, it's you're, you're too old for that. Now you're in your forties. Yeah. It's dangerous for you to get on yeah. X. Um, <laughs> you're going to need to need to call one of those like local, like liquid IV places out that'll come and do hydration therapy for you. <laughs> those places are all over like, man, they are. It's crazy. Yeah. We were down in LA recently and we saw like a, a little 
What's funny is we saw a clinic like that that was like, go in and get your infusions. But it was next door to a place that pre-pandemic was a cryogenics place. So it was like the the old fad died during the pandemic and the new fad was born. It's like, that's wild. That's crazy times out there. So, you know. Yeah, like beat your hangover and get, uh, get some saline injected to you. But I mean, I think I've, I've known people in the medical industry, like nurses and stuff like that, that that's that's been our hangover remedy for years. So like, right. I don't I don't drink that much hardly ever anymore. Like I'll occasionally once in a while I have something, but it just the I don't get the I don't get yeah. the thrills out of it now that I'm not a young man anymore. So agreed. I don't, it's not a thing I really get my my get excited about as much as I used to, but. I also don't think that if I did, that I'd be like, you know, what I'm gonna do in the morning is run down and get an IV stuck in my arm no, and be okay with I'd myself. I'd probably be mad at myself that I didn't like stop and drink more water, or, you know. Yeah. Like uh, I should have done this or that, but. Getting back to Strange Glow for a minute, like one of the things I have to say that I liked about like your choice to rebrand, as much as that was a weird thing to have to like, well, what do we do? Like, how do we make sure that people kind of understand what we are better? Is I've talked about this before. I kind of weirdly grew up in a video store in some Mm -hmm. weird ways. Like I, from the time I was like six until the time I was probably like 15, my dad was working nights, um, in a video store, like seven blocks from my parents' house. And so I would just go there. I was the kid behind the counter who was playing the Nintendo games. And then somebody would walk up and go, what is that? And you'd be like, oh, this is something called low G man or something. And they'd be like, what's that? Like, I don't know. And they'd be like, I'm going to rent it. Yeah. <laughs> and they'd be cool. It's like my job was like essentially to sit there, play games, watch movies. And then somebody would come in and be like, oh, that's cool. I'm going to get that. I'm like, here you go. And send it out the door. Um, yeah. And like check things out. So like when you kind of made this change over, there was this like aesthetic of video mm-hmm. store that kind of came out of like your new marketing and branding that was very like it hit home for me. I was like, oh, I love it. This is so VHS. I like Yeah, it. so Alec is a huge VHS collector and I think he just moved again recently. So he's been going through some nonsense. So we've slowed down the last couple of weeks. Hopefully we'll get back on a normal schedule soon. But yeah, we we put the video store together. So when family video finally like shut down, we went down there and yeah. bought the shelves couple of racks of shelves and just to have yep. throw behind us and <laughs> you know vhs you can find everywhere right now so yes yeah which the collector's market but you like straight up yeah did it. so we've got i mean alec is a huge physical media format kind of a guy anyway i think last i heard he had over a thousand dvds that doesn't count blu-rays that doesn't count vhs or any other random obscure yeah, yeah. stuff he has just dvd yeah right. and yeah. like i'm kind of the opposite like at one point in time, I moved to Arizona to go to school, and I had all my DVDs and cases, and I took mm-hmm. them all out of the cases because I had limited space. I just moved in my car. I threw yep. them in a paper sleeve yep. and put them in like a little box, and they all fit in there, and that's where all my DVDs have been since. I even just recycled the cases. I'm like, I don't, I don't need this. This is just <laughs> taking up space. Hey, I hear you. I, I joked about it at the start of the podcast. I said that you're the state you live in. I never fit, paid that off. I was like, you live in a state that once tried to kill me, and I never paid it off, so we'll just do that now. Uh, I was moving across the country when I came from New York to California and I had a Honda Accord. Oh. That was it. It was like, I have to fit everything I'm going to take with me into a Honda Accord. I don't have a trailer. I don't have a truck. I don't have any of that. And I hilariously was like, I moved, this is dumb, but like I bought the same Ikea furniture that I owned in New Jersey and New York. <laughs> and I ordered it and was like, have it delivered to my new apartment. It'll be cheaper to buy brand new of the exact mm-hmm. same Ikea furniture than it would be to move it across the country. But it meant that I had to make these choices about what to do with media. 
And so with a bunch of books and things, I was like, well, I'll just ship them. I'll throw them all as media mail and ship them across the country and that'll be fine. But when it came to like some things like oh, DVDs, they're media. I think I can ship them that way, but they might get lost. And this is like, you know, like 15 at this point years ago, DVDs still, they cost something. People still cared yeah. about them. So like now people are like, what do you want a DVD for? But like realistically, then it was like, put your DVDs in a booklet. It was mm-hmm. like, get a CD book. And put all your DVDs in it and then don't worry about the cases or mail yourself the cases. So I hear the same thing. I'm like, I have so I my thing is I lost all my CD cases. Uh, okay. All of my music, like all my music booklets, all my CD booklets went by the wayside because I kept all my CDs. But yeah, you're right. Like when you do that, you lose a lot of the physical media. So you lose that on a college trip. I lose it on a cross country move. Yeah. Right. But now you've got a video store. Yeah. So and then physical media is like having a huge comeback. And I think it's only going to get bigger. Everyone was talking about the decline of like even 4K content and the availability for that. But what we're seeing now with streamers, everyone's dropping stuff to save money. Right. Yes. And so with yep. people dropping stuff, you're going to see physical media come back because for a while it was like, well, I don't need to buy anything that's owned by Disney because everything's going to be a Disney right. plus. Well, that's not the case. And yep. even for me, like I've been buying pretty much all digital. I buy the digital, right? There's some stuff I haven't, but anything I need to have, I'll, anything I want to have, I'll get on digital. Anything I need, uh, I'll get the 4K or the box yeah. set, you know, like. Right. Uh, you know, I've got versions of Ghostbusters, like. That, <laughs> How many? <laughs> I've never actually counted. I know there's people that like buy them up every time they see them, but I've just tried to collect the formats. Yeah, I don't do that. Now that we've got more content coming, I'm like. I have to buy all this. Sh- yeah. Again. <laughs> and I know. No, it, it's kind of it's true. Like I I had this conversation with my partner recently because we spent our summer vacation like liquidating things. Like, we moved in our house and when we moved. We had to move in a quick in a quick like rush. So we realized that we've had things around that we've never even mm-hmm. opened. Like we found boxes in the garage. We're like, oh, we've never unpacked these. And then as minute we opened them, we we're like, we don't even want this crap. Like this is just stuff we shoved somewhere because we didn't want to deal with it then let's get it to goodwill but one of the things we talked about was like that physical media like having it it, to some extent weirdly becomes like vanity Mm -hmm. media like you own it so when people come to your house they can be like oh this is the kind of person you are you put it in your living room and i was like we don't really need this for that you know like we got a lot of books for that reason but I couldn't, I could not part with any of my copies of Ghostbusters. I was like, no, that's, that's collectible. Yeah. Like I don't have a PSP. I never had one, but I've got a copy of Ghostbusters on PSP format. Right. (laughs) I mean, they made it. I mean, I was even looking around just because it was entertaining. They released a thumb drive that had a copy of Ghostbusters on it. I think it was, you know, like a four gig drive or something like that. So, but it came with a copy of Ghostbusters on it. I was like, I wonder if I get one of those new in package. I haven't found one yet, but I know they're floating around out there. Do I need it? Not really. Like, I also don't have a Betamax player. I don't I don't need a My Little Pony got jump drive, but I'm still looking. Yeah, around, I haven't found so, one of those yeah, yet, but, but I did get the recorder that podcast has in the movie. But since we record a podcast, having a nice. field recorder is nice to have. Yeah, I bet um, that's not a thing I've invested in yet. I just stay home and then make you all come to me. <laughs> that's fine. But um, <laughs> I went to school for audio engineering. So like I'm always looking around at mics and equipment yeah. and everything else. I was going to ask you about this because you have your Ghostbuster Spirits Unleashed poster yeah. behind you. Have you had have you had an opportunity to play the DLC yet? The new one? I have not played the new uh 2016 DLC. Um I'm partway through the real Ghostbuster stuff and the extreme stuff I haven't really gotten super far into yet. 
Gotcha. I got a nine month old baby here with the wife at home. So when the baby was little and she was sleeping a lot, I could come up here and game a lot. Yeah. And then I had right. my work was very generous. <laughs> I had four months off uh, for paternity leave. And so nice. I was able to play some games and everything like that. And now I'm just like hardly ever turned the PlayStation 5 on. And I'm like, ah, kicking myself for it. But I do need to go through and rewatch that preview cut of Ghostbusters now that Jason's been doing all the live um, events at all the movie theaters out there. Yeah. I was pretty excited to see those. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I will say the Ghostbusters Spirits Unleashed thing, the most exciting thing for me, I've said this before on the podcast, is they put a pizza restaurant in that game. <laughs> yeah. A full-blown commercial-like pizza kitchen with, like, giant banks of ovens and pizza boxes that are stacked on top of it. And I'm like, whoever went and did the visual reference for this, and it was like, we need, like, this is the most accurate thing to me, I think, maybe in the mm-hmm. game. I yeah. Maybe more accurate than the actual ghost busting. I'm like, someone had a deep appreciation for this pizza parlor in this game, and I'm, whoever that is, I don't know who you are, come on the podcast and come talking about how what it's like to design a pizza restaurant for a Ghostbusters video game, and I'll chew your ear off about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I think it's great. <laughs> you know, it's Ghostbusters games are so hit or miss. I feel like we've finally gotten, like, Spirits Unleashed I love. I have a lot of fun playing that. Um, yeah. That's why even why I picked up this headset. I was like, well, this headset I can use remotely, and I can use it for gaming, and then, you know, this is an upgraded mic yeah. for the headset, which kind of drives me crazy sometimes listening back on other things but it definitely sounds better than the mic that it came with or a lot of gaming headset mics some of those are yeah a lot of them are not yeah great. so this is like a higher end set and you know I'm, I'm always on looking on ebay trying to find a good value so <laughs> but you gotta justify it right you gotta you gotta sell some stuff to, to spend some stuff sometimes <laughs> well you that's that's how, why you have coins <laughs> you know yeah yeah that's uh that was fun. Well, it mostly lasted. And, you know, that worked out pretty well. Dumb luck, I guess you could say. And I hope that's not the best dumb luck I ever yeah. have in my life because <laughs> that was pretty cool, but it wasn't like next level. What are you hoping for? Like, you know, obviously we're all hoping for a new movie to come out. We're all hoping for it to come out in a timely fashion. But like, if there's something you want to happen in the next like Ghostbusters movie or the next Ghostbusters toy that's coming out, like what's your big aspiration or dream to see happen in the Ghostbusters community, say, in the next like two years? You know, for me personally, there's things I loved about Afterlife, and then I was also objective and pretty critical of some aspects of it. But the more I've watched that, and I stop trying to deconstruct it from like the high level, like I know everything about Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2, and I've read all the making of books, I have a copy of Making Ghostbusters, I've done all this. Yeah. I'm able to appreciate the movie a lot more. And it's controversial to say, but I don't even think they needed the OG Ghostbusters at the end. In some ways, I think you're right. Like in some ways, I think that movie really does hold together where you don't need them so much after like watching that movie very recently several yeah. times and doing the commentary like they sh- it's nice to see them. But at the end of the day, like they're there and they help save the day. But beyond that, you're like, they don't do any of the thing that carries the story forward. You know? Yeah. And the new characters are so well written. And you just believe in them like podcasts, chemistry with Phoebe was amazing. So I'm really excited to see what they do yeah. with those characters. Um, you know, Paul Rudd's from Kansas city. You got to shout out the local native here, right? Uh, <laughs> he just, he does so much for the community, even living in New York. He always comes here and does this big slick, um, annual charity event for the local children's hospital, children's mercy. 
And seeing him in there do that, and I know everyone is excited to see him, you know, potentially suit up in this next movie is kind of what everyone, you know, said they really wanted in Afterlife. But I'm just excited the franchise is back. Uh, I just think we had such a long dry spell. I think if they take their time and do things right and don't get into the Star Wars bit, you know, Star Wars is so hit or miss. And yeah, yep. And I just even like with Marvel, like I am a hardcore Marvel fan. I love all the MCU. But I'm at a point where like I'm feeling a little burned out on some of that just because it's it's oversaturation, mm-hmm. right? It's like there's a point where you go, hey, I don't need this many movies a year. Mm-hmm. Like I actually only need maybe like two, maybe only even one. Yeah. Like I don't need five. No, I don't, <laughs> it's too I don't much, need five you know? and a TV series to tell me stories that are right. not as well written. Like take your time and do quality content. And I'm hoping that's what Ghost Core is going to do with all this, you know, because they announced a fair amount right. of stuff at EctoFest last year, this year, obviously, they're shooting mm-hmm. a film. Everyone was worried about it getting delayed, and I'm like, you know what? That was a very fast turnaround time anyway. Not to say that it couldn't be done, but I already anticipated that it was going to get moved. It just felt like that was going to be what happened. Um, with Afterlife, you didn't really have any reshoots, you know, and I know they did a couple of things in post-production and added a few things here, but with that lockdown, they really didn't go back and make any of those changes. But for me, like the future is right. that we've got more Ghostbusters. We've got more fans. It's a franchise that has long been overdue for some new stuff. One thing we haven't mentioned is the uh, Sony Creators Conference where they had the Ghostbusters short film. Where basically, they titled that the visual effects using real-time technology. And they're using game engine technology. Yeah. And to me, like seeing that really, really excited me and learning about what they're doing. The same way with if you've done any of the behind the scenes stuff on The Mandalorian, right, where you're actually able to pan your camera in an environment and change the background because it's Mm -hmm. all mapped out digitally. And there's all those reference points that automatically knows what it's doing. And so you're able to tell stories in a better scale than what we would have before. Right. Because when you look at the cost of a Ghostbusters film. Yeah, they can skyrocket easily right you know afterlife came in very (laughs) very low budget for what it was and it's a great picture but seeing what they're doing with this technology now is insane and the fact that jason shot this in london while working with the unreal engine team he also worked with uh epic games team yeah pixar uh well i can't remember the other name of the company there but just kind of combining all this technology and they basically had a mocap suit of this character acting out the stay puff role and they're able to see that kind of in camera right. real time and highly rendered stuff and the fact that you could actually shoot and see that all in, in frame you're not having to go back and like remodel the the, the mocap right because you've got the mocap with the director already pre-visualizing this and so i right. think that's really going to change what's an option for the ghostbusters series right if they do a tv series if they do even mm-hmm. if they do an animated series right that would perfectly blend right into an animated series they could just change the animation style to match it doesn't have to be photorealism what i think is interesting about that and it's kind of funny when you consider it we were all so excited about afterlife because of like the commitment to physical Mm -hmm. right not to digital like the amount of work that went into like even the easter eggs they put in and going finding all these old props to put in the movie and then like redesigning the way things work before and so even when you look at the terror dog right like they used a physical prop of the terror dog. And then when they did a CG composite, like with it, where the CG terror dog chases Gruberson out, they do it in CG style, but they try to like mimic what he looked like in physical format. Mm-hmm. Right. 
And what's fascinating to me is that this is the second time now where Sony has demonstrated a technology for like generated content. Because you remember, they did this like a year ago. They showed like a, it wasn't full blown like this as a short. They had like some booth and I can't remember what convention it was. And somebody's going to email me and remind uh, yeah. me later. But like there was a there was like a booth where they showed off like that they could ha- have like real time interaction with the ecto one and they put out a video about it where it was like look we can essentially have ecto one and set it up in the background and have our actors act around it and it's all and now it's like oh no we can just generate the whole scene we can generate the car we can generate everything about it everything's dynamic but what i find weird about it is like that this is a film franchise that's been so committed to physical tactile props but it's also the one that sony then leverages and they're like how can we show off some technology that would be utilized for making things using like entirely digital production. And I don't know that a Ghostbusters movie will ever actually be made that way. Like a video game, maybe mm-hmm. yes. An animated feature, maybe yes. But because of that, like long-term sort of commitment to old school filmmaking technology, I wonder like how much this stuff will actually get utilized in a feature. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like in a feature length. And film. I think it will for some of the shots, like the, the part about the conversation, yeah, right. that fascinated like the terror dog, right? Well, the, like, the, yeah. That and even, okay, so the untitled sequel release, right? Everyone kind of saw the yeah. New York shots of the Ecto cruising around town, right? There's no one that probably hasn't right. heard about that. No, we don't have to talk about what that actually right. looked like. But Jason's right. really going into detail about the fact that they didn't have to stop traffic for this short. Right. They didn't have to, like, let traffic go every so often, right? You can only... Tr- stop traffic for so long before you got to take a break from shooting to carry on. Yep. And all these things that normally would cause extreme delays or cost incursions, basically from making these movies. And I think you're going to supplement things that way. I think Ghostbusters is committed to that photorealism of having a prop in the room. Right. Because I mean, I think that's anyone's problem with CGI is light. How does light react on things? Right. we're right. seeing it get so much better now than it ever has been before. But when you're animating a hundred percent, you know, like the end of the spider verse movies or the new TM, TMNT movie, when you're all in animation, you have the luxury of that's all there. But when you're trying to blend in the real light from the lighting in another movie, that's where it gets, it's kind of crazy. And that is one thing that you can hate answer the call you want or love it. But I've got the target behind the scenes, special features. And they show mm-hmm. the level of capturing as much of that light in camera as possible for the ghosts right. and all the LED lights they yep. used on the proton packs. And I think to me, that was genius. Like that was very forward thinking. You know, you're still having all these physical props, but you're using natural light in the scene that you then accent and articulate with the supplementation of, you know, 3D right. animation post-production. And so when you're at a point when you can have like proton streams in a room with somebody, I think that's going to be crazy to see. Yeah, right. No, that's true. I mean, I've been thinking about this from the standpoint that like, you know, right now the Sony props department is shutting mm-hmm. down. Like they, you know, that's like, yeah. they're literally the auctions are going on right now to liquidate the prop house. I was looking at like what's for sale. Right. And like so much of what's for sale is stuff that if you could just render it, you wouldn't have to like warehouse this stuff, mm-hmm. whether it's like vintage Coca-Cola signs, like, hilariously like vintage vending machines, pinball machines, all the stuff that you could ever need to create a specific period. If you could instead just scan those props and keep them as a library, you could render them whenever you needed to on the fly procedurally, you know? And so it's sort of like, 
I don't know if that's Sony's long-term game, but like, I'm not like trying to link these two things together. Be like, yep, that's the deal. Sony's leaning so hard into their new Unreal Engine-based stuff that they're closing down Sony Props Division because they they were leasing that stuff to other studios. But I think that studios are seeing the writing on the wall about this. That like, they don't need to go out and actually necessarily get a 45, 50, 60 year old antique item when they could just kind of be able to generate it. In, and if, they, if you're thinking about how do you do that, like look at the Ecto-1 in that short, because that's an antique item, baby. Yeah, <laughs> like that's you know. yeah. They're, they're really onto something with this technology. And, you know, Jason Reitman also mentioned how he is fascinated about telling stories in different time periods or in places he couldn't actually travel, right? Within the right. ocean, within outer space or somewhere off planet, you know. You know, and he even told the panelists there that he would prefer to shoot a movie like Juno the way he shot Juno, just like in person, real people on real sets. Right. Because it makes sense. But you use right. this technology to supplement and tell stories that haven't been told before. Or we haven't been able to tell before in a visually believable way. And to yeah. your point, like when you're looking at anything that's vintage, right? Yeah. All those old signs from, you know, anything in the background. Why, why keep all those props around that can get damaged? Right. You're one fire away from losing that indefinitely, right? Some of that stuff's one of a kind mm-hmm. items. And so if you're smart, you digitize it to capture it for the history books. And if you capture it in a way that's right, you know, with LIDAR technology and everything else, you could actually just have those 3D renderings there and even go a modern museum. You could actually go through and just see these items and spin them around or move them around and walk around them yep. just like you would if they're really there, but they don't have to exist in in the in the right. format that they did before. So it opens up a lot of possibilities for telling stuff out of context from our current way of life. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and so I, that's a thing to think about. Like I haven't, I admittedly hadn't been thinking too far about like ahead about that until you and I started to talk about it a little bit off air. And like, I think that that is a really fascinating thing to think about for the next wave of Ghostbusters mm-hmm. stuff. You know, like what if we eventually get a movie where you can actually finally go inside the containment unit <laughs> like we've seen in the cartoons, yeah. but we can see it in the real world. But, you know, with real with real actors and actors we've seen on cinema, but you could actually go into that environment. And it's not about like then putting your actors in. Oh, we're going to have them all act against green screen. That's going to take months of CG animation. No, it's about you created your assets in pre like in pre-production mm-hmm. and then you can render on the fly and get what you want and then you can still do post to clean it up yeah but like it gives you the ability to not go oh what will this look like when we do it in post like we're it's our best guess of what we think it's going to come out as and instead you go no this is what we know it is minimally going to look like and then we can kind of build on top of that still in post if we want to and so I think it's fascinating. I would love to see some ghosts generated this way. Like I'd like to see some ghost performances done this yeah, way. Yeah, with because, the mocap, I think that would be like, next level. Yeah. Right. I think, and that's yep. the ghosts have been traditionally done. You know, obviously the main villains have always been human performer, but some of the other ones are puppets or other options. And so I think you're going to have the right. next level of scare tactics or just visual interest with that. And I'm pretty excited to see what they're willing to do with it. The thing is, you see the Ecto-1 in that short film, and you see how photorealistic it looks, and you're going, man, mm-hmm. to not have to put that asset at risk to do these right. things, right? You still want to be able to have some shots in there where you see people driving it. <laughs> well, 
<laughs> to be fair, they don't. They're happy to put that asset at risk of the Southern California sun. Yeah, that's that's twenty four seven. But I to your point. I know you understand what you mean, <laughs> and that's not a shot, Ghost Core. But for God's sake, put the car under a cover. <laughs> I'm surprised there's not one there, but I think Sony realizes hopefully that with this turning forty, you need to take care of that stuff. But they almost just need a Ghostbusters museum because. There's certain props yeah. that they can't sell, right? There's certain things and certain assets that, right. with this, if this is one of your tentpole franchises, you need to make sure you're keeping those assets and keeping them safe and having them around yeah. for the long term. I mean, I would love to, honestly, because like, it's kind of, we're getting off topic of Ghostbusters stuff, but like having gone to the Sony lot for FanFest, mm-hmm. right? You were there yep. for FanFest. I've been there for the tour, right? Like, and one of the things that you separates like the, the Sony tour from, say, like the Warner Brothers tour is like the Warner Brothers tour is like, welcome to the Batmobiles on display. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like we've got the cars and we put them in a displayed room. And when you go to Sony and you tour, it's like, hey, here's all of our vehicles. Like the Ecto-1 is outside on the grass. The Ecto-1 from Ghostbusters 2016 is around the corner of parking space. The helmet car from what movie is that from? I always oh, forget yeah. that there's a football helmet car from what is that from uh, like a but what is that? I don't I even know. No idea. Um, but it doesn't matter. Um, like the last time I was there, they were like, this is the RV from Breaking Bad. Right. And all of this stuff just sits outside. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I don't like this is like Sony. If you're listening, it's time to build a showroom for your vehicles and put it on the tour. And then charge me more money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for taking the tour. Like that's <laughs> you, you can't tell me that. Elvis, his estate has done a better job with Graceland because they have all of his cars inside in controlled climate conditions, right? If you want these things to truly last, yeah. you need to be in climate, or otherwise you're going to spend money on them yeah. every 10 or 15 years. And you're like, oh, we let that go too far. Like even for the well, answer the call, <laughs> Ecto-1, someone was painting the red, like the faux leather or the leather roof of that. Days before FanFest, oh, yeah. because that just bleached out sitting in that sun, like yes. almost immediately. Oh, and it's and it's bleached out yeah. again. When I saw it in January, it was completely bleached out. You could it was just kind of shocking. And I think it's kind of funny, but like the afterlife ectos, one of them was living on the mm-hmm. lot, and the other one that was not the run and drive one, but was arguably the one that was safer, was over at the Peterson Museum on the third floor of you know a building where I, I still don't know how they got it in there. I, I'm like, I w- saw that car on the third floor of a building and I went, how? Like, it, it, <laughs> like, what were the mechanics? Did you take the roof off and like bring a crane? How did you get this in here? Where's the service elevator that supported this? Yeah, because it, it was the car with all of its equipment on it. But like, you know, that it's true. Like we don't it's kind of strange like that. That will give them the ability to be able to use the IP asset without putting the physical asset at risk. And then if they put it in a museum or if they, even if they did something like loan it to the Academy museum and said, Hey, we're going to, you know, give you access. We're going to give you one of the ectos to put in the Academy museum as a, like there's nothing ghostbusters oriented in the Academy museum. It kind of drives me crazy. Yeah, what Um, you do that or the Smithsonian, like, right. You take that original ecto one because they're clearly not going to use that car anymore. Right. That car is strictly there because it's the original. They have other assets they're using now. They're obviously going a different way in the, the future and preserve that the best you can like take care of that car. And I'm hoping they'll redo some stuff on it for the 40th coming up, but only time will tell. Yeah. No agreed. Um, and I have to be, to be fair, 
I think I've said this on the podcast before, but I finally did the last time I saw it. I did touch it. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's like at fan, I fan fest, they had one red rope mm-hmm. and it was on like one side of the car only. And my psychological thing about like the reverence of the car, I couldn't touch it. I was like, you can't touch it. It's uh, behind a rope. And then I watched other people just walk around the other side of the car. Yeah. Because there was no rope on the other side and like lean on it, take pictures. And I was like, oh, you can't touch it. You can't touch it. And then I was so mad at myself because I didn't. Um, and so when I saw it at Ectofest last year, I was this, this very quick, like, tap. It's <laughs> like, OK, yeah, I touched it. Okay, I don't want yeah. to do anything bad. But when I, I think yeah, at FanFest, so, they only had that rope out on the side of the sidewalk. To protect people from yes. bumping into it. Because all the photos I took with the Ecto, I took from the passenger side because you had that wide open space right. there and it was just a better photo opportunity. Yep. I didn't do that because I was not thinking. And I also was there alone. Oh. So I didn't really know anybody. And I was like, I'm going to try and take selfies everywhere I go and mm-hmm. convince strangers to take photos of me. But yeah, um, now, I, now I wouldn't have that problem. Now I go to FanFest and be like, I know you and I know you yeah. and I know. <laughs> be a way different experience yeah. like, come get it my photo it'll be great we'll all take photos of the ecto one absolutely uh, <laughs> so the last last thing i have on the the sony creators conference though and it's interesting because yeah. that starry stay puff they announced today it's 30 centimeters tall which is translates to just a little bit over a foot soft vinyl but a lot of people are scratching their head about the mini puffed head that was comes with the deluxe edition yeah, right. But if you watch the short film, you see basically the rendered version that's a combo of the traditional uh, Stay Puffed with that head on there. But I think that's just because they already had the mini right. puffed asset in 3D. So why would you spend the money mm-hmm. and time on that? But I just thought that was very fascinating that they had that in there. So I've already seen a few comments of like, oh, does that mean Stay Puffed's back in the new movie? I'm like, no, that was a digital asset I think they yeah. had. And I, I think <laughs> right. this is just a fun nod to. You know, if you could release this Stay Puff, and I'm not sure on all the fine details, but if you're able to take his little, I don't know what you want to call his cloth piece off, you know, if you could take his shirt off, <laughs> basically yeah, right. throw this mini puff head on there, it's going to look close enough that, yeah, you've got both versions, right? However you want to display right. it. So. It is it is kind of funny, too, when you look at that um, that creators thing, mm-hmm. like the the video. Like, I didn't, I didn't end up watching the whole, like, long format of it, but I watched the shorter sure. version that showed some of the behind the scenes images of like them rendering and showing how they edited it. I think it's so weird that like, I don't know if it's just, this is the asset they designed the asset. And so they just have to do this when they do it. But we saw this with, um, with afterlife too. There was eventually like behind the scenes scenes that showed us that the mini puffs at some stage had full blown, like they had the red tie and they had the blue, Mm -hmm. like neckerchief thingy. And then by the time they got to actual production, they got rid of it. And I don't remember where I didn't talk about this on the commentary last week. And I cannot remember where I heard this, but I'm almost convinced that at some point, Jason Reitman talked about how like there was less to be, there was less to interact with. There was less to deal with less movement of fabric Mm -hmm. and less like challenge if they just took it off. So they kind of just went "Eh," and went. it's just, they're mini puffs. They're not fully developed. So they don't have the suit. They just are the little guys. But then when you look at that behind the scenes feature, like of that, little two minutes short, there are the mini puffs like that they're using and they're manipulating and they have their red stuff. And so I'm like, does the asset that exists somewhere of the mini puffs like in digital format, does it actually have everything that makes them would make them stay puffed? And then when they go into 
like separating and going, well, what is this mini puffed or not? They have to go like kind of in the Photoshop mode of delete layer oh, yeah. you know, or just hide layers, hide layers, hide layers to take off these components when we see them as mini puffs. You sure. know, like, and it's a weird thing to consider, you know, cause you see it in that video there. The, the final version doesn't have him with the blue neckerchief or the red, like scarfy mm-hmm. thing. So, you know, like what is going on there? Why is it that the digital asset has it? And then they take it off. Like, what is that challenge? And I'm interested to know, you know? But. Yeah. And I think. In all honesty, I think they're just playing with the, the 3D modeling they had available and we're probably going back and yeah. forth on it saying, hey, what do we want to do? But I found that very interesting that they filmed that all in London. So I'm wondering if any of this tech actually made it to the movie for any stuff. Was in yeah. the movie. Yeah. Because right. I think they've had a lot of things there. And the fact that they built the entire firehouse on a soundstage in London is just insane. <laughs> like I hope to God they they kept that. I mean, oh, I imagine they have to. I imagine that has to be like you box that up and put it in containers and ship it back because I mean they keep so many things and there's a lot of things they get mm-hmm. rid of, right? But like there's also things that any studio is going to keep as assets and sort of like sock away in case they ever need to use it again. So, well, yeah, to me that to me that know. would be a long term asset you'd want to keep just because then you can ship it to any soundstage you're making a movie on, right? And you never have to worry about. Right. Being in New York with the traffic there. So. Yeah. Yeah. And you never have to do with the fact that, like, look, you can't like the practical reality mm-hmm. is very simple. Everyone. I keep saying this. You can't go back to the L.A. firehouse. I'm still trying to get inside for the first time. They can't go back in there ever again. Probably. I'm kidding. But like, yeah. the building's never going to be the same. Like whatever it is now is a, it's still its state as unfinished stuff. But whatever it becomes will never be the same space that existed there before. It may have some of the same elements, like there's certain things that are guaranteed to come back because of the historical like policies. And so that tile will probably come back and certain mm-hmm. aspects of the yeah. architecture will never change. But like even if you look at what the Brooks Scarpa folks, the architects who were doing the remodel are doing, like their vision for it was not a giant open garage bay. So you would never be able to drive the Ecto-1 into, there. Yeah. into that space Ever again, because it's now going to be narrow hallways and office spaces and things inside there. So like the practical reality is that the more we are able to preserve these kinds of things in digital, as much as I know, like AI creeps people out. I'm not like this is an AI. This is like if it's AI, it's AI be sort of being utilized to construct, a, you know, a, a physical set rather than that's being set to parameters that somebody designs mm-hmm. and says here, AI, it's your job to change the light in this way. So that, that way it looks real rather than AI, you pre- figure out what the firehouse looks like. And to be clear, if you did that, if you went to like, I don't know, mid journey, any of the AI art generators, the Photoshop AI generator. And you said, make the ghostbusters firehouse. It would probably make something that was like actually a house on fire. And that had like Ghostbusters standing outside of it, giving a thumbs up. Yeah, I mean, it very well could be. <laughs> but I think you're you're at a point where if you preserve this stuff in a digital format, you know, in the 3D modeling. And you get it perfected, you just drop that into your video yeah. game. You drop right. that into whatever project you're working on. And if you do the assets right, then yep. they're future proof. So then you can yep. advance the rendering anytime later on. So. Because that was a thing I was always thinking about was like, you know, it'd be really cool if Sony bought that L.A. firehouse just because it's so historical. But what what would they do with it? They could have easily turned it into like an open floor museum where they just had rotating pieces in the middle of the bay beyond the Ecto. But but given where it is, it would never make no, sense. No, exactly. Right? It's just like 
So, and there's the fact that it would probably be really difficult to buy it because all the red tape that exists Mm -hmm. says it needs to be what it's supposed to be because that's what the people voted for. So, because that's, it was put up as a ballot initiative in 1996 of being a youth art center and part of like 85 projects that were approved. So the only way to change that designation is basically to go do another campaign. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah, another campaign, have people vote. So you'd have to be like, are the citizens of Los Angeles after spending millions of dollars for seismic stabilization, all this stuff interested in selling the firehouse to Sony? (laughs) Yes or no. It's ballot proposition 1984. Um. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's one of those crazy things. I'm glad they're finally doing something with it, but it's just going to. Hopefully, I guess the thing I look forward to the most about that is then at least being able to go in the inside, even though it's remodeled. I still really want to be in there. Right. Go check it out. Yeah. It's like, I'm like, I, it's like going to the millennium Biltmore, Mm -hmm. right? Like you can't go stand in the ballroom, but you can go stand in the lobby, which is the ballroom. Yeah. You can go like standing in the lobby and look up and go, Oh my God, this is the ceiling. This is like where they were. And it's not, it doesn't look like the same space because they've remodeled and changed things around, but there's enough there to give you the hints that you're like, Oh wow. Okay. This is the room they were in, but it's not a ballroom anymore. Now it's, the lobby. Yeah. You know, so all these spaces change. And so the ability to kind of take these things and sock them away and then be able to get back into them, I think is so important. And it's like, I mean, this is extensible to so many other things. Like Ghostbusters is the the concept that they use to test out this technology. Right. But it's like, imagine a world where you didn't have to worry about losing the bat cave ever, like any version mm-hmm. of the bat cave, they could all exist in digital and that you could just have stories. in them. So I don't know. I'm excited about it. It's, it's pretty cool technology. I just don't want it to replace traditional filmmaking where it makes sense. And so like Jason Reitman's articulation that like, look, I'd make Juno where I made yeah. Juno. Makes well, I think sense. it's a smart artist is going to utilize the tools, right? You know, every artist is on a budget, right? So if you're very wealthy, yeah. then yeah, you may do complete set builds for everything. But if you're an independent filmmaker, you may use something like this to expand your concepts right and i think that's really we're going to see this technology pick up is for independent filmmakers that have the access to get to this but they don't have the access to build huge sets or do anything else it's almost like a band you know you can record at home or you can go record at a professional studio right not to say that one's better than the other Mm -hmm. depending on what you're going for but just to be able to create that art in multiple ways and have options i think really just keeps people going yeah at every level yeah i have I have friends that I've talked about on the podcast before that um, I've known since high school and they live, one of them is in Florida, one of them is in New York and they put out an album like last year that is probably the best album they've ever made. And they wrote and produced all of it like in a basement studio that my friend has built in his home, like using, you know, like all the stuff that you can now get to be able to do that. And they wrote everything and collaborated like from afar until they got together to do a two day recording session in his basement. But before that, it was like everything was done digitally. They could, you know, if they didn't work, if they were going to work things out, they could write parts on drum machine and then translate it to drums and, you know, do the different stuff they were going to do because even though they're not in the same place and that same friend, I'm going to say my friend, shout out my friend, Rich DeSena, because he's the person who sent me this mic. It's awesome. When he was like, I have uh, my friend who's like my punk band friends were like, I got a new mic. We got a new mic for the studio. So you got that new podcast you started. I'm going to put this mic in the mail for you because it's better than your yeti mic you're using on your first like five or six episodes right so and that's like funny like podcasting even is something that you think about is like home produced yeah you know so democratizing those tools like i want to see you're right like i want to see unreal engine stuff like this hit 
a consumer model, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, where you can get down to an affordable point where if you're somebody who's an, a budding filmmaker, you can pick this up and figure out how to do some storytelling in a digital world, you know? So it'd be kind of neat. And to see Ghostbusters at the front of it, it's kind of exciting. Yeah. The fact that they're using that to show off the technology and Jason Reitman was so fresh to this. He's like, I've never met any of these guys before. This is all new tech to me. <laughs> right. He's like, I've, I've always been a fan of car chases and here's my chance to make a car chase. Right. And so like not doing B unit or since he's not directing the yeah. new movie, I think the options right. are out there, but at the same time, you know, he's such the filmmaker that I don't think he wants to get shoehorned into Ghostbusters, but I think he do wants to do right. what's right by what his father's legacy is and the legacy of all the mm-hmm. others. And so I think he's going to be the chaperone yep. um, for everyone else that goes to the dance to play in the Ghostbusters world. Right. Yeah. I mean, and let's not forget that, like, the next movie he and Gill are going to do is a Saturday Night Live history movie, which is like, so they're not going to get pigeonholed into doing just Ghostbusters. Absolutely not. No. Like, I think you're right that, like, he is to some extent. Uh, kind of filling the role of steward, mm-hmm. you know, like that's the way to look at it. Is it's like he's kind of the steward of the franchise at this point and stepping into uh, carrying on a legacy that is really important. And you see that, like, you know, not to like get we you talked about touched on it earlier, but um, like seeing how he put together those screenings over in New York and in London of the 84 work print, like that's not a thing he needs to go do, no. right? That's a thing that he like that's a thing you're doing because you want it, you're proud of like looking at this different version of a film and celebrating it. And I think that that's so cool that, you know, that's what he's doing with Ghostbusters is not just like, Hey, I'm making films cause this is my dad's thing. And I got to put the face in it, but he's out there celebrating even the process of making the movie that his father was involved in years ago and bringing that to fans. And I think it's, so well, I think that a lot of people are lost on the process of filmmaking. And so to be able to go out and host those things and share yeah. that filmmaking, it's like, it's a true art form, right? Just like so many things in life are. And anyone that's willing to share that or give you the time of that, it's really going to make a difference in the next generation of artists, yeah. right? Someone's going to go see him talk about that, talking about his dad's movie, and they're going to go and they're going to make a career in, you know, entertainment, content creation. And they're going to say, you know, this is the this is the moment that really defined what I was doing. Yeah. I like the way you answered this question. I'm going to say that. I asked you about what you were excited about the next Ghostbusters movie, and instead you kind of illustrated like, what you're excited about and where the Ghostbusters is kind of paving the way for something t- entirely new and creative. It's, yeah. You know, it's like, and it's not about the next movie. It's about what they're doing with the technology and how to make it relatable and adaptable. So, um, I think it was a really cool tech demo to sort of see them do this. And if you haven't seen it, if you haven't seen this short, it's like two minutes long. You should also go watch like the 51 minute, like entire presentation on this technology. Cause there's a lot of good insights there from Jason mm-hmm. Redman. But, um, you know, it's, I, I think you're right. Like that's a really good and poignant answer about, what does the future look like? And what are you excited about? So good, good the job. The other thing I will say on that before we wrap this up is, you know, everyone's out there doing fan films and I was like, I wouldn't want to do a fan film, but something I would love to see just because it's, it'd be fascinating to me is a cops style version of Ghostbusters. <laughs> because not every episode you're going to go out and actually catch a ghost. You're going to run into this right. schizophrenic. <laughs> schizophrenic or paranoid person <laughs> you're gonna run into those people and like so as a professional you're gonna go out there and you're gonna have to say okay well now we've got to get whatever else involved to get this person the mental care they need right the the weird stuff you would see if you've yeah. ever worked in service industry or like serving servicing anyone in anyone's home like the kind of stuff you'd see that some people are crazy <laughs> but sometimes you yeah. really catch a ghost too. So I would love to see like how bizarre the day in and day out of that could be and like how mundane it would be. Right. <laughs> just the, 
you kind of get a little bit of that in the montage right before Winston comes in, like where they're just getting yeah. burned out on it. But I would love to see that where they're just like, I really don't want to do this anymore. Right. You know, someone's <laughs> having a bad day. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not doing that. today. I'm calling in sick. Like, what does a Ghostbuster do when they call in sick? <laughs> right. What does that look like? Like the absurd stuff behind the yeah. scenes. I think there's if you're looking at long <laughs> format content, I think there's those little gems that you could really throw in there and really make something unique and fun. That's not just like phantasmical and crazy. So I will endorse this idea just so long as no one has ghost badges. I'm still on the record as being opposed to the ghost badge. Uh, <laughs> if you've heard of us, like we're pretty much vehemently against the ghost badge or the militarization of the Ghostbusters. Like <laughs> there's like this. Thank you very there's much. There's this weird fetish out there for it. I'm like, look, the only reason they used flight suits instead of coveralls is because that's what was convenient when they were doing shopping for this movie. Like, right. They went to military right. surplus. They went to used hardware stores, used electronic stores. I get that. A yeah. lot of military surplus went into that, but that doesn't make it like a law enforcement job. Like they're ghost janitors, I right? <laughs> I mean, they have more in common with Dave Chappelle's character and half baked as a janitor than they do with like a, the <laughs> cop that's coming there to shut them down. So I think people, people forget that, but yeah, the ghost badge is one of those things. I'm like, Oh God, they got a badge. And I'm like, if you like it more power to you. But for me, I just feel like they're the type of people that, like a Ghostbuster would be the type of person that would be getting made fun of or someone would be kind of like, oh, you're a Ghostbuster. You couldn't do anything better with your career. I mean, here's my thing. Every interaction we ever see the Ghostbusters involved in with cops is one where the Ghostbusters are trying to get out of being in trouble with mm -hmm. cops. They're the last people I can imagine wearing a badge. Yeah. Like they're the people who are drilling into a street and trying to convince the cops that they're con head. Yeah. Like that's... <laughs> They don't have badges. That's not. No one's giving them deputizing them to do anything. No. <laughs> like, <laughs> like the only person that should be carrying around a badge that doesn't deserve a badge is Shaquille O'Neal, because he's like an honorary sheriff in so many places because he just loves <laughs> law enforcement. Like, let him let him wear all the honorary badges. We don't need him. <laughs> that's awesome. So Shaquille O'Neal can have a ghost badge. In fact, that's what every there's a franchises should do now is franchises should just randomly send Shaquille O'Neal ghost badges. Yes. You go, you may not have one. I don't know if you've got a jurisdiction currently over yeah. paranormal policing, but now you are. Now you have yeah, it. You're good here. You're licensed <laughs> and insured. Honorary. Well, this was a, this was a lot of fun, Justin. I, I really enjoyed talking with you about Ghostbuster stuff and. Um, your podcasts and we didn't talk so much about punk rock and I was hoping to, and to be real, I have to do this now cause we never did it. We've made it through two hours of talking. I still never explained how Missouri tried to kill me. Um, so just to anybody wondering out there, it was a, t a tornado tried to chase my car down the freeway and I survived, but Missouri totally tried to kill me. I know it. So I'll hang out with you, but maybe not in Missouri cause Missouri hates me. Uh, tornadoes <laughs> happen anywhere. So <laughs> well, currently I'm about to face a potential hurricane in Los Angeles. So at this point, I believe you that tornadoes may happen anywhere. Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Mass hysteria. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it'd be safe out there. Yeah. Where can folks find your stuff? Remind everybody real quick one more time. Where do they find Strange Glow Video and where do they find Strangeglowvideo.com has all the links to everything Strange Glow Video related. I am at Mr. West Studios on Instagram, uh, on PlayStation, if you're looking to find me randomly on the blue moon that I can get on there and play online. And uh, 
<laughs> I've got a YouTube. I don't really have anything on my YouTube. I throw that all in the Strange Glow, so it's pretty much all there. But Instagram is the at Strange Glow video. So if you want to see any of the prop making or the silly stuff I spend money on, go check that out. All right. Well, I endorse that. Everybody should go check out Strange Glow video. Go subscribe. Take a look at the content that Justin and his cohorts uh, are out there creating on a regular basis. Um, and hopefully we'll have a conversation where we can maybe all get together sometime soon. That would be Absolutely. Cool. Um, we'll do another one of these. But thank you so much for coming on and uh, and coming and having your first run at Extraplasm. Um, you're now in the running for a robe, allegedly. That's how this works, in case you're Good. not Good. I, I want the robe. I want the robe. I'm ready. <laughs> we, we, and we still are going to have to give Austin a lot of money, I think. I don't know. We'll see. But um, all right. All right. Thank you so much, Justin. We'll talk to you again soon. Take care, Jim. Thanks. All right. Take care. You too. That about wraps things up for Extraplasm this week. I want to say thank you again to Justin for coming on the show, and I want to encourage you to take a look at his podcast, uh, Strange Glow Video. You can find it off where, you know, wherever great podcasts are made like this one, but you can specifically watch the show in video format on uh, YouTube. So be sure to check that out. It's really fun and interesting, and they have a lot of good Ghostbusters content on a regular basis. Beyond that, I want to say thank you, of course, as always, to Brendan Pierce of Baducci Studios, who provides our visual identity and logo for the podcast, as well as Vaporwave artist Magnavox, whose version of Ghostbusters serves as our theme song. And, of course, I need to say thank you, as always, to you, because you are the folks who listen to the show and make what we do here worthwhile. Uh, I often ask you, if you want to do something nice and positive, to leave a positive review over on Apple Podcasts or Amazon Podcasts or wherever it is that you're doing things to get this show. But this this week, I really do want to ask you to please go and engage the new Facebook page, Extraplasm Podcast Facebook, uh, and the Extraplasm Podcast YouTube channel, uh, because I would love to be getting content out to folks there, but if you're not there seeing it, then there's not much of a point in doing it. So uh, please go and follow in those places this week would be the best thing you can do to help support the podcast this week. Beyond that, I want to encourage you to heed the helpful words of Ernie Hudson, friend of the podcast. Okay, not yet, but maybe someday. Try to have fun and always keep on busting. Take care.